into the foxhole. I, as always, am Will Fox, joined by my brother John. John, how are you? I'm doing well, Will. Great to hear. Great to hear. And our special guest for this episode of Into the Foxhole is our third of four brothers, Andrew Fox, calling us all the way from the magical land of Lexington, Virginia. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. If it isn't Fartface Jones. Which is a perfect segue into the topic for today's inaugural edition of Into the Foxhole. The idea of Into the Foxhole, but born out of the COVID-19 madness, which will become something for the history textbooks by the time this podcast is released, is John and I are off on hiatus back home in our, in our hometown of Wilmette, Illinois, and past the time we thought we would start building our cultural canon of our best friends, a way to sort of evaluate all the works of art that we truly enjoy and our friends enjoy so we can discuss them and talk about why they're particularly special to us. And Andrew, what will we be visiting on the pod today? Today we are covering Kicking and Screaming, the 2005 film. Where have you been? It's almost over. But where's Sam? He's on the bench. You're kidding me. Dad, I wanted to talk to you about Sam. He hasn't been playing a lot lately. And... Ooh, hold it right there. I agree with you. I got some great news. Great. I traded him to the Tigers. You traded your own grandson? I know he's the most competitive man in the world, but this beats them all. I am angry. I'm, I'm spitting angry. I'm like a tornado of anger swirling about. Because I could be a bench warmer, not my son. Because I'm going to coach the Tigers. Hey, the Tigers look pretty good. Those guys aren't the Tigers. The Tigers are over there. Oh, I'm having a baby. Uh, excuse me. I just don't do that with the cup. Okay, team, let's see what you're made of. Just kick it. Kick it hard. Kick it. Okay, that was hard, but I'm not on the field. Keep it on the field. Okay. I think I need to get some help. Look who's here. I'll give you a hint. Hall of Fame, Chicago Bears. Sammy Sosa? No, no, no. It's Mike Ditka. I'm a coach that knows about winning. Come on, move it, move it. Pass, 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 pass. pass, pass. pass. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, are you mimicking me? No. I'm gonna push you like you've never been pushed before. But you know what? When it's, it's over, get emotional. you guys are gonna be champions. Champions. Yes. Winning feels good. I really like winning. Are you ready for this? You just served a plate of humiliation. How does that feel? Oh, my God! Get him off me! Ow, he's got my ear! Universal Pictures presents... Pick up that piece of trash, Tom. Tuck in your shirt. I have a sense of pride. In fact, why don't you take a lap? Go run a lap! Faster! Will Ferrell. Dad, you gotta lighten up. I'm doing this all for you. So we can have fun, huh? Fun! Fun! Kicking and screaming. Are you serious? Not to be confused with the Noah Baumbach film, Kicking and Screaming, starring Will Ferrell and a cast of zany, crazy kids. We've watched this movie upwards of probably six dozen times. Uh, I agree with you, Andrew. I think we grew up in a generation of kids where the DVD player had finally reached its apex, and we have beautifully watched it ascend, hit the apex, and decline in popularity. But when we were kids on our famous 17-hour car trips, etc., this is a staple that would never leave the car, John. 
Yeah, I mean, you just got to take and look at it as well with the fact that it's in the car. <laughs> yes, I don't think that, I don't think that we figured out how to actually eject it from the <laughs> yeah. DVD player in the car, which probably led to the some odd dozen watchings of that. What are some other of our classic uh, Volvo car favorites, John? Well, you got to go with Like Mike has to be up there. That was a, that was a staple, <laughs> as well as the Chicken Little animated film that never left that car. Yeah, or never got never got its due. Would you agree, Andrew? I'm not a big Chicken Little fan. Oh. You guys, I'm gonna pass this off to you guys. Stay <laughs> in that movie. Uh, oh, another one I remember specifically having a, a lot of in the car was Shrek. Shrek was a favorite of ours at that time. One of the few DreamWorks movies to ever win Best Picture for animated uh, film. I yeah, think it might be the only. And Ice Age. And Ice, did Ice Age win Best Picture? Yeah. Not Best Picture. Best Animated Picture? Yeah, I think so. Also, two phenomenal soundtracks on those two films, gotta say. Yeah, shout out to Quinn Glavicki, son of Mike Glavicki, my friend from college, who... Mike Lubicki was the front man of Rusted Root, who had a featuring song on both Ice Age and Enterprise Rent-A-Car commercials for generations, uh, known as uh, Send Me On My Way. I was I was trying to see where you were going with that, because I was like, wait, did they do Send Me On My Way in Shrek? <laughs> like a traveling scene or something? Like, it could work, but... But I digress. We're not here to talk about animated flicks. Megamind will be for another podcast. <laughs> Andrew, do you want to describe the plot of Kicking and Screaming and maybe talk a little bit more about why we love it so much? Okay, it's a story of a father's relationship with his father, as well as this father's relationship with his son. So, really, it's about two fathers and two sons. <laughs> but also a son who is the father's brother. Yes. And yes, that too. And, and and I do say that there are vitamins throughout this as well. There's there's pills, I believe. And and balls. <laughs> and balls. balls. And hockey pucks. <laughs> we'll get into the commercial later, guys. Let's stick to the plot. What actually happens in this film, Andrew? Okay, Will Ferrell. Uh, his his character in it. it does it ever matter what Will Ferrell's name is in any movie is in? It's like, Phil. It doesn't, but it's Phil it's, Weston it's Phil, in this case. Phil's Pills okay. is the shop that he runs uh, at the Will, beginning. Will Ferrell stars as Phil Weston, an average Joe who has a tense relationship with his father, dating back to the fact that his father's played by Robert Duvall, and they have a tense relationship uh, since, since birth because of uh, Robert Duvall's hyper-competitive nature. And the fact that Will Ferrell never felt comfortable uh, competing with them, and so uh, we and we have gotten successfully to the first three minutes of the film. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and the entire movie is about Will Ferrell's uh, Will Ferrell's bet with his father over the famous Pele ball. Uh, whether he can coach the last place team in his rec league, in his kids' rec league soccer league, uh, all the way to first place. I forgot about the Pele ball, I'm not going to lie, but that is a crucial part of the actual plot underpinning all the comedy in this movie. <laughs> That's kind of the MacGuffin of the whole thing. We never actually see the Pele ball. No, we do. We see the we Pele see the ball. Pele. We do. I mean, we, see, <laughs> we definitely see, we see it a couple times, in fact. <laughs> Multiple shots. It, a MacGuffin, nonetheless. <laughs> um, so yeah, as the action. So you're saying it's a red herring. What? I don't. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> theater terms. 
Uh, exactly, the theater. We And then the action basically is interspersed as Will Ferrell goes sort of power-hungry, is what you could say, as he takes over his son's last-place team uh, with the help of two Italian youths, skyrockets them to the top of the league, uh, challenging his father, Robert Duvall's kind of uh, kingship, his kind of lording over this reign of rec league soccer. But at what cost? At what cost? It's, it's, it's a lot like Breaking Bad in that there's been this monster harbored inside this average suburban man his whole life, and then it's finally unleashed uh, under desperate circumstances. And much like Breaking Bad, it is destined to be watched on AMC for the next 30 years <laughs> on cable access television. Very true. Um, so, And the crux of the movie comes down to Phil realizing what monster he's turned into, uh, also with the help of NFL Hall of Famer and what we can only assume is suburban Chicago neighbor Mike Ditka, Iron Mike <laughs> Ditka, who becomes Phil Weston's assistant coach. Uh, Andrew, where would you say this ranks in terms of Chicago celebrity movie appearances, Chicago sports celebrity movie appearances? I mean, there's no Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, this is true, but you have to put it in the top five, correct? Imagine, imagine Space Jam with like football. Is that what we have here? That'd just be weird, but so you're uh, not you're not comparing kicking and screaming to Space Jam. That's what I thought no. you. Were. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's definitely above like the Cubs in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or the fake Cubs in Rookie of the Year. Ooh. Yeah. All right, but not to go back to one of those movies, but what about Like Mike? Cause there's other. I mean, is there a Chicago star in Like Mike? No, this no. is the, this is no, the, the, <laughs> the throwaway line. Robert Forster slams down. <laughs> and just says, how could we lose to the Bulls? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to fly well over the head of most of our listeners, but yes. that is a hilarious scene in Like Mike, which really, you could call that as the descent into hell if we are going by the hero's journey archetype of storytelling. It's true. They lost to the Bulls right when their chemistry was broken, and yeah. How could we lose to the Bulls? <laughs> so you're right. That, def- that definitely does rank ahead of that. It's a shame. Like, yeah. It, the, the offs, the waiting for Godot Bulls cameo of Mike Mike. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Only outdone by the fact that, we, as we all know, uh, is it the Toronto Raptors all shoot good free throws? They all shoot free throws, coach. It's like, wow. <laughs> exactly. Great, you know, great five-second scouting report. Like, that's that's why we call him Exposition Jones. You know? like, <laughs> Pete, repeat. This is one line in the whole movie. They all shoot free throws, coach. <laughs> well, then we got to get the ball. Anyways, let's get back on track. That Again, like Mike... For another podcast. Um, but uh, can you go over kind of uh, Phil's realization and how the story actually comes full circle in the end? Or, John, you can take it if you want. Well, well it all comes full story in the end because he, he reaches his crucible, one would say, when he, when, he, when he freaks out. This is all fueled by uh, harboring caffeine addiction that he progresses throughout the film. This will come into play later in the pod. But he, he's, he comes to realization when, when his own son... I believe does not show up for the final game because he does not because he, he doesn't want to play for his father anymore. And even though he switched teams in the first spot in order to play, so so Phil sort of realizes what happens, and this is sort of the 
the realization point for Farrell. You could, yeah, you could call it the awakening. The awakening, and, yes. And as soon as he apologizes, he gets everything he wanted. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. He gets he gets everything he wanted. He re- he reverts back to the original Phil that we see in the beginning and in the final game of the season against his father's gladiators. Phil Weston's Tigers are able to overcome this huge thing in his life and and, and win and win. Which is like that simultaneous, like it's it's kind of this like juxtaposition of Phil wanting that victory, but also like wanting the acceptance of love of both his son and his father. As we said, two fathers, two sons, a son who is a brother of the father. A lot of relationships going on in this uh, movie, but not only the relationship with his son, but his relationship with Robert Duvall as his father, kind of coming full circle and how you can kind of sense that the win is fulfilling for Phil just because the kids enjoy it and the kids enjoy coming to a team coming as one, you know, in terms of being a team. Uh, but he also doesn't, you would think that this would lead to a moment of him gloating in his father's face, but he doesn't do that. In fact, he offers to give the Pele ball back to his dad in the end. And then they merge their businesses, which I, I think we'll talk about this later, but is, has to be one of the weakest points in the actual film besides the actual commercial being filmed. Their well, businesses. Yes, vitamins and sports. Well, I mean, he's got balls and, and vitamins. vitamins. I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a great moment at the end of the film, but what? That's what. There's a reason why we haven't seen a GNC Sports Authority merger. <laughs> like this doesn't. This, this just doesn't make logical business sense, especially at a small business level. Their overhead has to be ridiculous. Well, I mean, you also have to take into account that they're saving money because they're they're locating into one store, though. I mean, oh, is on. the savings on rent really going to stop from those two different supplies? They have two separate supplies. Again, this will be for the end of the movie. Um, but we've kind of summarized the plot, and I guess we can all, each of us, go around and talk about why this movie is kind of special to us. Uh, Andrew, if you want to, you, you can start it out as why you think it's resonated, besides the fact that we had not found the eject button in our car DVD player. <laughs> You know, I'm actually, I'm dwelling on this moment right before Will Ferrell realizes that he's, like, he's gone too far during that championship game. I think, I, I'd just like to point this out. What I think is the best directed shot in the whole movie is when uh, Will Ferrell is yelling at Byung-sun for taking a shot during the championship game. Like, you can take as many shots as you want during practice, but not in the game. And, like, you have this weird angle where the stopwatch is covering. You have a shot of, like, Will Ferrell hovering over Byung-sun, the diminutive Asian adopted child. And the stopwatch is covering Byung-sun's whole mouth. I don't know what it means. Like, someone put effort into having that shot, that stopwatch, kind of cover Young Sun's mouth. Yeah, very, very, very Kubrick-esque. We could go, <laughs> we could go into bound, we could go for lengths, I should say, into talking about the symbolism of that moment. But Actually, it's kind of ominous. It kind of looks like a uh, breathing mask, like the ones you see during the COVID-19 <laughs> outbreak. Very topical, Andrew. Yes. But uh, So how does that relate to uh, uh, what you think is special about the movie? Okay, what I think is special about the movie, it's probably, like, I would go that there's just, like, a series of very, like, Will Ferrell is allowed to act very absurd in this movie, and for the most part, he's just surrounded by kids. Yes. Like, 
So, like, the kids don't have some witty banter or shock. They just have to let... They're just, like, a captive audience that has to deal with Will Ferrell. <laughs> and he gets, like... Like, the, I'm thinking about the, the... The shot of the scene where they have to chop up all the meat in order to get to the games. And the Italians can play. I'm thinking about when he screams at the kid butt through a traffic cone. <laughs> As he's get, isn't he getting like kicked out or something at that point? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. Also, the fact that Will Ferrell makes a seamless transition from super straight man at the start to just like insane competitive <laughs> draft horse midway through before finally coming full circle. Draft horse? Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I love that imagery, Andrew. Edit, edit it in post, man. Like, edit it in post. No, that's, that, we're keeping that in post. <laughs> uh, but I guess that's what it is. Is that like, very, like, Will Ferrell, I guess it's kind of like other guys. Will Ferrell starts out as a straight man, but occasionally just lets loose mm-hmm. and then comes back to being the straight man. Like, there's that kind of dy- dynamic going on where a lot of his characters are just straight up absurd the whole time. Yeah, I think you definitely stole a couple of my points there that I was actually making in the middle of your uh, monologue there, which is, like, phenomenal because you were so right about the two things. One, about how brilliant it is the fact that, like, Will Ferrell gets to play both the straight man and the uh, and the kind of the joke, the jester, and both like he gets to seamlessly transition in a way that like I, you could call it hackney, but it really does feel like kind of a logical transition with the key coffee montage scenes yes. adding a lot of adding a lot of context in that sense, uh, and then also how that like kind of uh, that progression reminds us of our other favorite Will Ferrell movie, The Other Guys. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I I think that's valid. John, you want you want to say what makes this movie special for you? Yeah, well, I mean, going off the coffee thing, I, I just think little little thing of the movie that you see is the, it's very anti-coffee in this movie. It is, yeah. It is very against caffeine. Taking down big coffee, big bean, big... Big, big Italy. Or does, does does Italy come out ahead or behind after the movie? Let's let's talk about the run that Italian soccer was on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Simmons. <laughs> but uh, but no, just like just as as a non coffee drinker and and uh, vehemently against coffee, I, I I very much side with with this film in that aspect as well as I just I enjoy the relationships because like we say it's this is centered around kids. But the, the relationships that Phil Weston has with his dad, or Ditka, it's just some of the best stuff that you can see from Will Ferrell. And it, as well as with him being, I feel like he's himself. I feel like I've never seen a more Will Ferrell-like character than Phil Weston. I feel like I could just see Will Ferrell being Phil Weston. Will Ferrell sinks his teeth into this role 100%. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, he, I feel like a lot of it is just him being himself and then taking that to an extreme as well as, like I said, like the tetherball scene is one of my favorites. Oh, I just said, remember the tetherball scene. Where the little backstory is Phil's playing a, a vicious game of tetherball against his father, Robert Duvall, and safe to say he gets his ass handed to him. <laughs> but he, he goes, he really goes full in on it at one point, pouring an entire thing of Gatorade over himself and with just like these blotches of red marks from the ball hitting him. And it's, it's just great. It's a great scene. I, I have like, I remember, I forget what friend it was, but I have a friend who 
gets really bothered uh, by Will Ferrell movies because he always takes his shirt off. <laughs> I, I really enjoy when he takes his shirt off. That's a great example of mid-2000s Will Ferrell ripping off the shirt in an opportune time for laughs. He takes the shirt off and he's got, he looks like he's been poked at it to death. <laughs> well, uh, I was going to say, it looks like he had just been given an AED defibrillator straight to the yeah. chest. <laughs> like, those are the marks that you get after you've literally been given the shock of life. <laughs> yeah, like, that's insane. <laughs> uh, I I also, uh, that's such, uh, that is such a great scene. I feel like, just remembering it, I feel like they got the same cinematographers that worked on the Rocky Four punches. <laughs> like, you know, the punches where Drago comes straight, like, the, the straight, like, camera shot punches where all the spit comes flying out of Rocky's mouth. I feel like that was gotten, that they got that same cinematographer to take the shots of the tennis ball hitting Phil straight in the stomach. Yeah. It was probably an homage of sorts. Yeah, another, another great sports well, movie. Also, another part of this movie that I think is culture stands on, something we've talked about a little, but it does not have any Will Ferrell actors in it. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because the fact that there are no... So Will Ferrell is a part of the frat pack, you know, these uh, kind of younger comedians that kind of dominated the late 90s, early 2000s, all the way close to present day in terms of comedy. They kind of handed off the baton to the Apatow actors, Seth Rogen, etc., Jonah Hill. But he he has these kind of common actors that are usually a cavalcade of characters that are constantly being brought in, whether main actors that are, you know, supporting with him, like John C. Riley, or supporting actors uh, that, you know, you would know their faces. They're the typical that guys that you've seen in constant movies, like, for instance, the wife and stepbrothers slash the mother and elf, a common Will Ferrell actor. And then other, like, popular, just other popular names, like, I guess you could say the Wilson brothers, Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn. These are members of the frat pack that are traditionally kind Steve of... Steve Carell. Steve Carell, exactly. Paul Rudd in a couple films. Yes. Um, but this film, because of, as we talked about, the cast of child characters, there are no members of the typical Will Ferrell kind of uh, comedy cast that are there, which allow him really to kind of express himself... And he doesn't lose any of the spotlight, which is not to say that there aren't characters that are, aren't Will Ferrell that aren't funny. Like there are plenty of very, very funny characters and funny moments of non Will Ferrell characters, but he just commands the screen. It's like him. And then Ditka also commands the screen, but this is Ferrell. This is his movie. He's the, he is the character. Like you can even see it in the, in the, 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 the poster for it. It's him. It's just him and then kids looking at him. Yeah. He, he takes center stage. Is Duval on the poster? I don't no. believe so. I believe it's just Will Ferrell just getting Will Ferrell. the kids. Yes. In, 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 the striped, uh, in the striped Tigers jumpsuit. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> great great use of I have the Tiger that we'll get into later. Um, me personally, I think this kind of connected. So we watched this movie. It came out in 05. Uh, I was nine at the time. John was seven. Andrew was 11 going on 12. Uh, so, and we watched this for the better part of the next five to 10 years. Uh, and I think that it resonated really with me because, uh, Andrew and I specifically, but also John to an extent, we grew up playing on awful sports teams. Like this is no oh, secret yeah. that we played on some awful, we all went to the same Catholic grade school. Uh, and our team, we had horrific, uh, basketball teams. I was on some bad football teams. I was on some bad lacrosse teams. Like, and I think that's an experience that like everyone besides super athletes, you're like regular kids that are playing rec league sports. Everyone's been on a bad team. 
You know, I mean, John, you've been on bad teams. I've been on bad teams. Andrew, you've been on bad teams. I've been on a lot of bad teams. <laughs> yeah, so we've been on a lot of bad sports teams. And it's just like that, like, it's that mix of it. You can see in the kids, like, wanting to play the game because they enjoy the game. But they often forget that because they just want to mess around. They want to take the Gatorade cup and hit it on their knee. They want to, like, <laughs> pretend like they're having a baby with the, with the soccer ball, you know? Like, pretend like they're pregnant. Like, I'm having a baby. I'm having, don't touch the baby. <laughs> they want to eat worms. There's one kid that wants to eat worms. I'm not going to say we all want to. But there's one kid that wants yeah. to eat worms. So it's like there's a kid willing to eat worms on every bad team you yes. played on. Like, there's that kid. Check the ledger. There has been a kid that wants to eat worms on every bad sports team. What's that kid's name? Which one's he? What's his name in the movie? Uh, uh, I don't know. Research department, John? Um, I believe it, it's, is it Clark? Or is it, no, it's... Um... Could be Clark. Alex? I can only think of their last names. Um, but even then, I can't even think of this kid's last name. Hunter. 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 It's Hunter. Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> This just reminded me of when uh, who is the who's the funny guy, funny guy who plays Beans in a uh, even Stevens uh, movie. Stephen Anthony Lawrence. Stephen Anthony uh, Mark, Lawrence. Mark Avery. Mark Avery. Avery, Avery is his name. Yeah. That just reminded me of Avery's scene where it's just like I got I got jokes. I got so many jokes. Uh, it feels like oh like they one joke. It's just and he talks about oh remember that time that we ran you over like as we were going you know take the field and Will's like yeah yeah. yeah. Oh man, I got you so, so good. good. <laughs> you can see Beyonce just dying in the corner. I won't lie, I use that joke. Like, <laughs> I got you so good, but I'll just be like, hey, remember like remember when I called you out on the basketball court? <laughs> I love Andrew searching for some insult he said. Just like was the last time I insulted someone. Come on, come on, come on. I was really fish. I was really grasping up straw there, guys. Like Cut, cut, cut me off if you see me bail, like, bombing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll just hang up and take the pod, too, man. I, I, I got a question to pose for you, too. Well, who is the most important kid, outside of the Italians, of, of course, that is in this movie? Okay, well, obviously, you can take this a couple ways. Is Are we talking strictly for our viewing pleasure? Are we talking for on the soccer team? Are we talking, like, what do you mean most okay. important? Okay, first I'll start it with, who do we think is the best soccer player outside of the Italians, based on the film that we get to see? Not counting Sam? Not counting Sam. Ambrose. See, I gotta go with Jack. The redhead. Oh, him? The kid that gets, he scores the you only mean, goal. You he mean, scores so, the only so goal. Screen kid? Yes, he scores goals. You mean, are we talking, are we talking pre-Italians? He's the only We're, one? Yes, he's the only one that scores a goal pre-Italians. I think you gotta look at his goal-scoring record. I think like, you have to give it to him. His plus minus. He's like the Kyle <laughs> he is the Kyle Kuzma of this team. As in, when LeBron and Anthony Davis, he still has a starting spot, you know. But he's he just not... doesn't put up buckets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I I mean, I think it's obviously Ambrose, simply because, like, they're at an age when if you are simply just the biggest kid out there, you are the best soccer player or the best sports player, even okay. if you're not actually good at sports. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Andrew, you get, do you have a way in? I hate I hate to give the right answer here, but it's definitely Connor the goalie. <laughs> he can't see until he gets glasses. That is such a loaded answer, and you know it. <laughs> what? He makes all the stops. I'm sorry that they got he too powered it. in the goal post. Like, he just has astigmatism. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he not get glasses until, like, the second half? Of the last game. <laughs> like, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Phil, Phil, uh, what's it called? Phil, um, uh, 
Oh, Phil, uh, Phil, it's not Phil Jones, it's uh, Phil Lewis. Phil, Phil Lewis. Lewis. I'm sorry, Phil Lewis, Mr. Mosby. I'm sorry that your son has literally needed glasses for the entire movie, which is the course of a year, and God knows how long this kid has had a stigmatism. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's got to be a slight on him as a father right there, that it took okay. a stranger to give his son glasses, you know? Yeah. Okay, this isn't the worst thing that Phil Lewis has done. <laughs> well, no, it's no manslaughter, but I mean... This is a reference, of course, to uh, Phil Lewis's uh, prior manslaughter or prior manslaughter conviction, uh, which, unfortunately, is something that we have to bring up on the pod. Uh, we definitely have to consume... We all consume art uh, with certain asterisks, and one of those asterisks is just knowing every time you enjoy an episode of The Sweet Life and Zack and Cody the man who you are seeing running around trying to keep Mr. Tipton's hotel in tip-top shape uh, has killed someone in cold blood. It's late December 1991. In cold blood. <laughs> Let John finish. It's it's late December 1991. Phil Lewis entered his car not knowing where he would go oh. that day. Little did he know it found Isabel Duarte, a resident of Bethsheda, Maryland, sadly ending her life. Bethsheda or Bethesda? Bethesda. Bethesda. He was charged with manslaughter and driving while intoxicated. His blood alcohol level at the time measured three times the limit for the legal oh. intoxication. Oh. When Lewis was sentenced to five years in prison but suspended four citing Lewis's work after his arrest with a prison-based theater troupe that performed in jails, schools, and churches to highlight the consequences of drug abuse. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. Consequences. <laughs> oh, Mr. Mosby. So, yes, if you do look at, at Phil Lewis's filmography, there is a steep seven-year drop in filmmaking where you can attribute oh. that to him being in prison. Oh, man. I, I knew it was manslaughter, but when you say the story, that just makes it so much. Can we ethically consume kicking and screaming anymore? The debate starts here. <laughs> I think it's I think it's better that this happened after like before his big screen breaks. Like I mean yeah, it's better than Arguing that arguing about the best time for a manslaughter to happen isn't something I really want the podcast <laughs> to make a precedent of, but go on. <laughs> I think I I don't know in like the I think I think cancel culture is an overblown term because it's something we've always done. But the whole like I think one of the issues with cancel culture is like accepting uh, cele- accepting pieces of pop culture uh, uh, in hindsight for like terrible things that someone did way back when. And I think it's a lot easier to know that like this person. It is time, and then produced all these works. Like he hasn't gotten in a car and killed someone since then. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very fine with this. Anyway, I digress. I connect with this movie because I was on so many poor rec sports teams, and also like I grew up watching this movie when I was in. I mean, we all grew up when watching this movie while we were actually in rec sports leagues. So it's something we all can connect to. And, like, you know, just basically, like, how we were always on the Tigers, right? I mean, like... Yeah, I remember I remember we once went out to... My soccer team once went out to ice cream because we tied. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so relatable. Like, it's just, like, such, like, a being on a bad sports team kind of memory that a lot of us have had. Even, like, the super athletes out there have been on bad sports teams. Yeah, like, Fred Smart was on a lot of the same teams as me. 
<laughs> Shout out. I play D1 baseball. Shout out Dom Frederick. Yeah. Uh, well, Sp- Spanish Cubs. Yeah, that guy played D1 baseball and still didn't help, even in basketball. You guys had plenty of people over six feet also. We had three guys over six feet, and we still were like like cranking out a Bulls-esque, like a 22 <laughs> Bulls-esque record. <laughs> wow, that's bad. That's we bad. didn't have a single player over six feet on my eighth grade team. Eric? It's 5'10". It's like 5'10", 5'11". Again, for listeners of the pod, if you want to go through the record of the Council 2-3A basketball standings and all the rosters, you'll understand these references. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal in, like, eighth grade having three guys who were over six feet tall in a largely white, all-white Catholic league. (laughs) And still sucking probably made it even a bigger deal. It was very frustrating. We had had three centers on the court. (laughs) (laughs) You had multiple people being able to touch the net in eighth grade basketball. Which, again, again, leads me to my Ambrose would have been the best soccer player who is not Italian or Sam. Okay. Well, I just, I just the one goal I see is, is scored by Jack, and so I have to go off of saying that he's the most skilled. He's he's the most he's the one that can produce. You know, we he's a producer. We don't need to open up that. Do we? Yeah. Um, now that we've kind of gone through why this is special for us, like talking about the movie. I mean, where do you go from the beginning? Like, obviously, it's going to be the most generally the middle and then the end. <laughs> Maybe go go go. Back to the beginning. Interspersing with different characters' point of views. <laughs> I owe a lot of people a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve Coogan, an unsung hero of many films and of uh, pop culture, who we're quoting there. Also, would we consider Coogan a Will We've Ferrell actor? I feel like he... Is, is he in more than one Will Ferrell film? Coogan is not a Steve, uh, Will Ferrell actor. Well, no, he? I'm saying, but like, could we? I'm, I don't know. I feel like we could consider him. He's not, he's not a frat pack member, but like... He's in Tropic Thunder. He's, uh, which is a frat pack movie, but not, not a, a Will, Will Ferrell movie. That's like saying is McConaughey a frat pack actor? Because he's in Tropic Thunder. Mm. Anyways, the beginning of movies, before Andrew cut me off with that real smart-ass take, is, you know, it's that intro scene catches your eyes. You're thinking of the classic scene from Mean Streets with the blinds and Be My Baby coming on. You're thinking of who could forget, guys. 2001, A Space Odyssey <laughs> with the chimps. Uh, an intro all of us clearly remember and can vividly uh, come in our eyes mind, in our mind's eye. Yes, it's, it's film maestros as, as we are. Eyes, mind. <laughs> yes, I said my eyes mind instead of my mind's eye. Anyways, these intros are iconic. What is more iconic than the intro of Kicking and Screaming, The Child, Phil Weston as a kid, This Is Me as a Baby. A blank slate. <laughs> Thinking I'm in control of my own destiny. And then I met my dad. <laughs> you better be good at this, kid. <laughs> no, this was not a clip I put into the podcast. That was me quoting <laughs> the actual beginning. I know I had everyone fooled. Yeah, some of you may have thought, let me just clarify, <laughs> that was Will. I, I know it seems so unlikely, but that was Will. Also, Scott thought his lips were moving the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like that scene, which essentially starts the thesis. Like, it's a very quick thesis. And then talking about his struggles athletically growing up and in college, meeting his wife, uh, Phil Weston, finding out that he, finding out, one, that he is getting engaged 
<laughs> finds out he gets engaged the same day he finds out his dad gets remarried. <laughs> then also finding out that he has a son the same day as his dad has his half-brother. <laughs> realizing that his half-brother is one pound heavier than his son. And then the classic scene as uh, enveloped as you could say kind of surrounded by the beautiful music of Blues Traveler with the iconic 2000s late 90s hit Runaround as Phil is closing up the pill shop, going to the parking lot, and then coming into the interaction with uh, the lady who drives a Hummer, which is a great mid 2000s spot for Hummer. Can we agree? Yeah. Yeah. This was I agree. this was Hummer hype. This is prime Hummer time, you know. This is Hummer time. I mean, you couldn't send that message with any other car, I tell you what. Yeah, it doesn't... Ford F-150? No. no. Ram? Even, even, a Jeep, even, even like a Wrangler wouldn't have done the trick that... Jeep Wrangler would not do it. What's the Ram car? It's a truck. We're not car We're not guys. Ram people. We're not car guys. <laughs> no. Um, also, if a good Twitter account, if any of you guys follow it, is Ram Owner, who, <laughs> who replies to all tweets like, Someone gets, like, an MVP. Yeah, but did they get, like, five straight J.D. Power and Associate Awards? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then also talking shit about the, uh, uh, talk about the Ford F-150. Anyways, the Hummer driver taking up two spots. And Phil starting off his, like, it's the first instance. Like, you get so much information in this first, like, five minutes. Like, Phil's neat, like... Even when he is still playing the straight man, Phil's need to kind of stick up and do the right thing, <laughs> but immediately just getting steamrolled anyway. Yes. It, it, it's very evident of his character. Um, and then... Oh, he's getting emasculated for uh, driving a Prius. A Prius. Not a, even a Prius. A Will Ferrell storyline that, that has seen its days, you know. Exactly. Not only kicking and screamings, but as well... Other guys. Another connection to other guys. Yeah. We're making them all the time. <laughs> it's as if basically the other guys, but with kids instead of bullets <laughs> and banking. Instead of Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg, you have like twelve you have kids. Ditka. You have Ditka instead you have of twelve Mark kids Wahlberg. and Mike Ditka. Um, yeah. Instead of a New York pension plan. <laughs> <laughs> what are what, what are uh, what's this called? What are uh, what are Will Ferrell's other favorite like? Topics like the Geneva Convention. I feel like he was the first guy to like bring up the Geneva Convention as a strictly comedic point. Mm -hmm. I think taking his shirt off—that's a big, that's a classic Will Ferrell move. He we already talked about that. Taking his shirt off. Fergie. Fergie. The, the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, I believe Black Eyed Peas make a make a appearance in this film it, it, with their, in the version of their music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They wow. And, and, and a fantastic montage scene of them finally coming to grips with that with the true team. The Italians come in and they start playing up to their full capability as let's get it started in here. Start blasting in the background. Let's and Young Sun leads them in a Macarena. <laughs> realistically, does. like, Young Sun, the, the small... The smallest kid on the team. Everyone had that kid on their soccer team who was just way shorter than everyone else. Yeah. And, like, to see him, he was so shy at the start, but to see him, like, come into his own and lead the whole team in a Macarena, I know that there's this whole plot about, like, you're seeing Phil's descent into madness and he's kind of betraying everyone. But realistically, if you're that couple 
and like sending your kid off to soccer practice on Sundays and Tuesdays from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, like you've got to think this was a success. Sure, the coach was a dick, but already you got your money's worth. Like you've seen your kid come and out of his shell before your eyes. Uh, yes, and I was staring bullets straight through John because John was the short kid on a lot of his uh, teams. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I had to bring this up in the pod. It, it, it was bound to come up at some point as we were talking about uh, rec sports. Uh, John, I'm sorry I had to mention it. Let's move on. Yes, I, I'm still proud of my accomplishments as a rec league player. So Let us also not forget John overcame the odds. Andrew, we were talking about this. John overcame the odds and beat childhood asthma. Oh, yeah, he did. Yes. So everyone on the podcast, <laughs> give a nice hand, tip of the tip of the cap to John Fox for beating childhood asthma. It's, it's one of my proudest accomplishments, if I do say so. <laughs> I haven't used an inhaler in over five years. <laughs> coronavirus ain't getting this <laughs> I've beaten childhood asthma, coronavirus, do your worst. <laughs> um but can we talk about Mr. Nebulizer Knock on wood right there. <laughs> Stay safe, people. If this comes out while the virus is still at large, wash your hands. Stay indoors. Ten people or less. Come on. Fewer. I can hear, I can hear that nebulizer oh, yes. cracking up already. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Ross from Friends. Exactly. And if you are if you are the Holtzman family listening to this podcast right now, uh, I don't know what to tell you with the fact that you're only supposed to gather in ten people or fewer. <laughs> Um, may God have mercy on may your soul. May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> uh, that one's for you, Kathleen. Um, let's get started in here. Eye of the Tiger, uh, Walkie Talkie Man. What is the one they? What is the song? Did we find out what the name of the song was that they play after they get out of the slaughterhouse? Research department John is furiously typing it up. But the only song this soundtrack was. Don't they also play? Um, uh, are you ready for this? The only song they're missing is the Alan Parsons Project. Serious. Yeah, they could have. They could have. They could have busted that in. I think you'd have to do that. They also, chariots of fire in this in this as well. Oh I mean, my god! Yeah. I think the best, but I think the best place for that song would have been the the sewing scene, and they already had Eye of the Tiger locked up for that. They yes, which Eye of the Tiger like. Could you make a, a? Could you have a better like use of a song intended for another movie in another I guess, movie? I guess you could have had serious playing when uh, when the fin- when the Finches get released. Also, can we talk about how how what song this movie ends on? And is it, it's we can work it out by the Beatles. By the Beatles cover. It's not. It's a cover. It's, it's, it's not the Beatles. No, it is the Beatles. Oh, it's performed by Stevie Wonder in yes, this, I believe. I told you, ten million percent a cover. <laughs> wow. I can see. I can see the DVD screen credits where they are showing like they have a third of the screen is like a different person, and like each person, their actor's name is like under it. And I can hear Stevie Wonder singing, "We can't work it out." By the way, listeners, let me know if you want more of me uh, acapella song, <laughs> songs uh, in future podcasts. I have already, men- what'd you say? Did we mention Zuma Zuma Ya? Zuma Zuma Bacala and Largo Al Factorum are actually the two Italian songs. Great use of Italian music during the Italian soccer players montage. Largo Al Factorum is well known from the famous, uh, I believe it's a play, The Barber of Seville. Mm-hmm. Seville. Seville. <laughs> Seville. 
my pronunciation guy, Will, correcting me and very thankful for that. You did call Bethesda Bathsheba. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess what's, what, I mean, are there any scenes you guys want, you want to talk about like that, like stick out to you besides the entire movie? Well, I was going to say, I think that consistently some of the best scenes are the ones that take place in Buck's house because they're all absurd. Yes. The Pele ball scene. The Pele ball scene, the tether ball scene, of course, yes. Even the Eventually, barbecue at the end. Yeah. The, the I'm trading, the I'm trading Sam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the, that's probably the, that's like the first scene. Also, that, I guess that was the opening. That's, that's where he goes to find out that, to announce his engagement and find out that Robert Duvall, his father, is <laughs> also getting engaged. engaged. Ever since your mother passed. <laughs> she didn't she, she die. Didn't you divorced her. <laughs> potato, potato. potato. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. the, that is the sets. I never really thought, because you think of, when you think of King of Screaming, all you think of is the classic grass field. Well, yes. I feel like, I feel like you, you have the grass field, you have Buck's house, yes. and then you also have the coffee shop. The coffee shop is also home to some crucial scenes, that I, if I do say so. Yes. I, uh, we, 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 I guess we should dive into coffee. We've already made it clear this is an anti-coffee uh, yes. family. Um, John doesn't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. Andrew, I think you drink coffee sparingly. Uh, I drink a cup a day. Oh, oh. Okay, so we have, okay, so it's good oh, to see that big we have, man. Oh, you think you're a big man now? Big man now. Big man, big man you drink coffee. <laughs> I, the one okay, my one my one thing that I do that I that I will bring up about this film that that I that I have a little bit wrong with was the scene where Phil first first discovers coffee. He uh, let me. What is that enchanting aroma? What is that haunting aroma? <laughs> haunting so you're telling me that Phil Weston has gone, let's say, about forty years of his life without, without ever <laughs> smelling the smell of coffee. Not even tasting. Tasting fine. We'll yes, that. Yeah. Okay, I can see you going 40 years without drinking coffee. If you don't want to drink caffeine, that is fine. But how? How have you never walked by a coffee store? You know, they're everywhere. <laughs> this, this isn't like a like a once-in-a-million place. Like, they're also, all the time. You are clearly a working professional. <laughs> like, you have been around people that have drank coffee. Yes, you are a store owner. You you sell pills. You, you probably store in a strip mall. Yes, exactly. You're telling me that there's no coffee. Coffee, like you've never smelled like good coffee, Phil. <laughs> I Phil, I call that. bull. I call bull. What is that haunting aroma? aroma. <laughs> that? just in the in the in, in the spirit of all of Will Ferrell's great phrases, as as you know, as that have come through his years on SNL, and most notably his appearance as Ron Burgundy in you know Anchorman. Yeah, haunting aroma is a great great <laughs> phrase for coffee. Yeah, he's real words worth, you know. <laughs> But it, it is interesting how coffee plays like a central role. It's, it's almost like cocaine. It's yes. almost like cocaine. Cocaine. Do you think, again, we love this movie. This movie's great. Can we get six thumbs up here? Yes, six thumbs up on the movie. Can I'll we admit that? Up. What'd you say? Up. Can you say that again? Six thumbs up. Six thumbs, six thumbs up. up. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry, you cut out. Um, can we, is coffee a lazy writing tactic in what way I think so you said you don't i think i think it is i think it's a bit lazy because i think they saw will ferrell they saw the straight man like okay i don't think so i don't think so 
By the way, I also have to amend my statement slightly because uh, uh, previous take because old school does have a slight bit of the straight man Will Ferrell and the crazy man, even yes. though it's very much mostly the crazy man. <laughs> it is, well, it's, I mean, what's his name? Oh, crap. What's what's his name? Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank, obviously. The tank, yes. The classic. right. <laughs> They're going streaking. Exactly. They, they, they go streaking. Which, to be fair, that dominates about an hour and a half of the two-hour film. So yes. I'll, I'll, I'll stand by. This is more, you see, in this film, it's more of a progress from straight man... To, to Frank the Tank, shall I say. And then know? back to... And then back to Straight Man. Frank the Tank doesn't leave once he comes in, in, in old school. He's there to stay. He's there to stay. The also final scene any, of old school is him seeing uh, Owen Wilson, or Luke Wilson's ex-wife and and what we would think would then go to have an orgy with his wife. Also, there aren't any consequences to like Frank's actions. He doesn't... Re- it doesn't seem like he regrets... Becoming a frat boy. Well, doesn't he get divorced? Well, yeah, but he's okay with the divorce eventually. He's okay with that. <laughs> he's okay. okay. No consequences. Fine. Um, but back to the co- coffee. I, I, I believe that the coffee is is pretty crucial because you can't just have him go crazy for no reason. You have to have a catalyst as well to that. And the coffee serves as a catalyst to him becoming crazy. But yeah. I think we've already seen when he has the panic attack, when he's talking to his son. His <laughs> mom! Friend. Get mom! Get mom! Mom! <laughs> that is... There's this, there's this tiger inside. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but what brings out that... The tiger just isn't going to walk out. It's yes. not... It's not... It's not Like, Phil's not going to invite that talk tiger out to talk, you know? Dare I say the tiger needed a panic attack yeah. to come out the first time. Whether it's a tiger in this movie, Frank the Tank and other, or it's Gator and other guys. I mean, I mean, you need something to, to, to stretch it out of him. And what does that is his harboring addiction to coffee and to, and to caffeine. Yes. Caffeine is an addictive substance. It so. is. And it is as well, as, as we figure out in the film, it's a vascular constrictor. Vascular constrictor. Yeah. Vascular constrictor. Um, I guess it's the one thing you can... You can get someone addicted to in a PG movie. You can get an adult addicted to yes. that's allowed to be broadcast in a PG movie. All right, all right, all right. So when you when you frame it that way, it sounds like the the directors writers are doing a good job of working within their restraints. Yeah, I might have to correct my position. Yes. they worked with what they got. Like they, did. they couldn't be he couldn't be Tom Hopper in uh, Hoosiers and Beach. Blatantly a, a, a drunk and addict. Yeah, this is where I'm obl- I'm obligated to point out that in an eighth grade rendition of the play Bye Bye Birdie, Andrew was forced to simulate getting drunk by drinking milk. <laughs> yeah. Um, Care to yeah. comment? <laughs> Care to in, comment? And probably my first instance of noticing our mother suddenly dropping hints about how she thinks she's way cooler than us. Like, oh, you did a terrible job pretending to be drunk. <laughs> Mom, I'm 13. <laughs> and while pretend, saying about how she's cooler than us by simultaneously making it very hard for us to get like the ability to be cooler than her. Yeah, and she, she very much took, she very much did this on her ground. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no, uh, there weren't any there weren't any white socks in that family household until like 2007. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was tan socks to school every day. Oh, I, I, what, you know, you you'd get ready to play sports, and all you'd have were these tan socks. Oh, I remember a great deal of football practices where I played in tan socks, and it it stood <laughs> it, I stood out, you know. 
listeners, we are not cool people. <laughs> we did not grow up cool. We did not be. It's not like we also. It's not like we became cool. The sense, the like, the second we got away from our parents, no. we still are not cool. I pay for my friends. Yeah, John <laughs> notably pays for his friends. I barely made them on sports team. Andrew paid for his, his friends. friends. It's it's a whole thing. Which. If we, kind of sad. If we want to digress further, is Luke the only one who actually is cool because he's making <laughs> friends he in college have with to no, pay them for them? Or be forced to be on the same team as them? <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Back, back to caffeine being an addictive drug. We have made the ethical choice to not take any caffeine sponsorships on this podcast. Yes, of course. Uh, because we want, we are ethical producers and we want you listeners to be ethical consumers of media. Wow. You had that prepared. I like that. Yes. Yes. I mean, of course, while I wear my Hero Cosmetics Mighty Patch uh, for <laughs> nicotine and caffeine. <laughs> Guys, can we talk? Have you, have you tried your new Brooklyn sheets? <laughs> they are. I can't believe I slept on anything before Brooklyn. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a whole new type of sleep almost, you know? Exactly. Insert tagline here. <laughs> um, caffeine as a catalyst, we have worked out, not a lazy tactic, but simply working in the constraints of a PG yeah. movie. And can we talk about, so Will Ferrell, can we think of what other PG movies has Will Ferrell put out besides this and Elf? Is Daddy's Home P? I think Daddy's Home is PG thirteen. I believe Daddy's Home is PG. definitely not PG. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, we can check the the filmography, you know. But I mean, so I think uh, Curious George, maybe Curious, Curious George. George. Okay, but who saw Megamind? Curious Megamind. Who Megamind. saw Megamind? Um, there's like clear. There's there's there's. I, you could say there's two tiers in his PG films. You have Elf and Kicking and Screaming, then the rest. Yes. Um, we're not going to have John divulge's ranking of the top two, uh, Kicking and Screaming and Elf, unless you feel so bold to do so on the podcast. I, 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 I do feel bold enough to say this, and my take with this is that it's very unpopular, but Kicking and Screaming is a better film than Elf. And now, is, is that just because you have better, like... Is that just because you've watched it more, or what, what's your thought behind that? Well, see, my, my, I, I don't think that's the case, because we had both of these films on DVD as, as kids. We, we had True. access to both films. True. But Elf, Elf is a Christmas movie. It will always be limited by the fact that it's a Christmas movie. You can't watch Elf outside of the month of December, pretty much. That's, that's about the only month. And yes, great film. You have Will Ferrell. He's, it's, it's a funny movie. But I just there are more... There were just more times where I'm thinking of kicking and screaming scenes that, like, I when I remember, I audibly laugh. I, I, I audibly, like, have a reaction to it. I just think him, it's it's him on his own. And while it's both, they both are pretty much centered around him being uh, just mainly him, I think kicking yeah. and screaming is, is more Will Ferrell. Like I said earlier, Phil Weston is as close as you get, I believe, to the true Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. That's a good take. The Will Ferrell that... As you, Andrew, you've heard the story before. I'm sure you might have also, John. Uh, his stories of when he would be at USC, how he would routinely find his friends' classrooms, dress up as a janitor, <laughs> and every single class go dressed up as a janitor yeah. and just mess and start break, like mess with stuff and like accidentally breaking appliances <laughs> around the classroom. 
so much so that the professor got in on it and talked to him. He says, I know you're not a janitor. I love this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess you're right, which is like the, like, simultaneously cerebral, also crazy. Yeah. Like, both these are encased within Will Ferrell. I feel like now would be a good time to talk about, have we talked about the run Will Ferrell has gone on? Oh, the mid two thousands. The mid two thousands. Will Ferrell. Uh, I have it pulled up. I can go over uh, Will Ferrell's filmography from in, in the mid two thousands. Where the real question is, where do we start this from? Uh, I started from old school. Usually, um, so we're talking post. Yeah. So we so we acknowledge that Zoolander in 01 is like the starting point. It's it's. I mean, I feel like of his stardom uh, is of his true stardom in the movie. Like it's 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 his introduction into into the film. His first feature film, Asterisk, the asterisk being SNL film, doesn't yeah. actually count as a feature film. Yeah. Sorry, Will Forte. You could you could say you could say I guess you could say Austin Powers, but he's not that's not really So I think definitely for me, in terms of the movies on this list, um, Austin Powers probably has is the earliest where he actually has a part where I feel like, I don't know, is very, is one positive, two memorable, and three kind of launches for future success. Yeah. Okay. So I, so I would say we can start at his appearances in the Austin Powers movies. His first, I mean, his, as we said, asterisk, his first actual leading role was Night at the Roxbury. But then, in a major motion picture that was critically well-received and a very funny movie, his... Uh, part as Mugatu in Zoolander that set the stage for everything. Really, like, can we can we agree there? Yeah, it's the last movie he makes while he's still at, at Saturday Night Live. Good point. It's a good point. Yeah, I think I think it's really what it's what got him out of there and shot him really into like into being a movie star. I think he became like somebody to see after that movie. Yeah, and so I think that. I, I disagree with that characterization, but yeah, it's at that point as he's becoming the super, uh, as he's becoming a comedy star. Well, because yeah. he's already the most famous man on SNL, uh, I would say, as after his yeah. bullshit press. Yes, like he is. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Daryl Hammond. <laughs> yeah, these are all these are. The, if we keep talking about SNL, there are going to be a lot of thinly veiled Tim Meadows jokes. <laughs> sorry, Tim, um, but I agree with that. And if you look at propels him to old school, which old school, another great, I'd say he has about the same amount of, I know he's got more screen time in old school than in Zoolander, right? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. That's yeah. probably his most, outside of obviously Night of the Roxbury, which, <laughs> which we, we have agreed to men in black, white. For yes, our exactly. You would, I, old school is him getting the most screen time. Can, out I, of can I do an aside real quick? Sure. Would, could you put, t- like, I was just thinking, when you mentioned Tim Meadows, I I thought, how is he not in this movie? (laughs) Nick Cage style? Yeah, how am I not in that movie? Really, how how are Molly Shannon and Tim Meadows and a bunch of those SNL cast members, Rachel Draft, all of them could play suburban parents, and they definitely have played suburban parents in whatever Adam Sandler movie they're all in, but... I don't know. To I be, think. To be I could see, see, see Tim Meadows. Uh, I could see Tim Meadows. I could see Molly Shannon. I could see Rachel Dratch all being different parents in this movie. 
And, and to be fair with that, Tim Meadows, not a single film released by him in 05. So, or no, oh wait, this is back in, in oh, for Kicking and Screaming? Yeah, we're talking Kicking and Screaming, yes. right? It came out in 05. No movies for Tim Meadows. You feel like he could have definitely just slid right into that role. Also, and I don't want to bring this up, but do we assume that Tim Meadows would be in the Phil Lewis spot? We are all thinking it. I mean, John was. Last thing, John. Well, I was definitely thinking it when I came up with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think it was also. And then I started because I was like about to say I can totally Tim Meadows in the Phil Lewis spot, and then I paused and was like, I can totally see Tim Meadows and Rachel Dredge and Molly Shannon all as parents. I think especially Molly Shannon, just because I think Molly Shannon like is one of the top ten suburban moms in comedies ever. Like she, she could have been the lesbian mom. She could have. She could have been any of those spots. Like she, she yeah, she couldn't have been. She could have. Oh my god, the one with the glasses, the small, short one with the glasses. No, she could not have. That, that I forget who that actress. That would have been. Was, she uh, did a perfect you could job. Have like uh, Megan Mullally or, or Sherry O'Terry. Yeah, uh, maybe a, a calm down Sherry O'Terry. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anyways, if we're talking about the run Will Ferrell goes on, just to be a little more succinct about it, we have Zoolander leads to, well, we talked about Austin Powers leads to old school, leads to, or sorry, Austin Powers leads to Zoolander, leads to old school, leads to Elf. Elf being his first real huge success as the main guy on yeah. a major motion picture, which Elf leads to Anchorman, which leads to Wedding Crashers, which leads us finally to kicking and screaming. Give or take a Starsky and Hutch in there. Uh, he's, I mean, he's uncredited in Starsky and Hutch. That's not really... I mean, his scene is really good. It's Starsky. it's very good. There's no way around it, but... Eh. Sure, whatever. Anyways, the point being that this launches him, and after Anchorman, Anchorman is kind of the... It's funny how Elf... I didn't really think of it this way. Elf was his first leading role and it's ostensibly not a will will ferrell comedy mm-hmm. you would think you think of it as will ferrell doing a great job in someone else's movie you wouldn't expect it to be in between old school and ron burgundy as well you wouldn't expect you would expect it to be before that or at or after that but you know i mean it, it's exactly but interesting it is an interesting run where anchorman i don't know i guess i always thought of i mean will ferrell does I don't know. I never thought of Elf being in that order. But then, leading to Anchorman, huge cult following, critically very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, after that, Will Ferrell kind of just forays this into, I guess, arguably being the biggest comedy star of the 2000s. Yeah, from, you gotta say, from the mid-2000s up until 2010, that's like... Which is when we, we've all noticed that he, they, the frat pack has passed the baton to the proverbial, whatever we call this next generation, the up at the Apatow characters. The we could just call it the, the, the cast and crew of This is the End. Well, it's the, this is the end, freaks and geeks. Like, it, it's those people. Again, the Apatossals? What'd you say? The Apatossals, a combination yeah. of Apatow uh-huh. and Apostles. I can't believe we got a bad Andrew pun and a John <laughs> mention of Freaks and Geeks in the same 10 seconds. Okay, we get it. Will's never seen Freaks and Geeks. Well, we get it. John <laughs> loves Freaks and Geeks. I don't love Freaks hey, Will, and Geeks. Why don't you talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey? <laughs> Which I know so well, as is, as is featured on the podcast. Yes. Uh, Will's extensive knowledge of Kubrick films. I hate how. There, I said it. 
Oh wait, Hal's not the one in Wally, is it? It's Hal's and Hal's and You got it right. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think isn't it Otto? Something like that. I think Otto is Wally. Yeah. Oh, anyway, um, so yeah, Will Ferrell. Like Will Ferrell is. You would, I guess you would you call it on the plateau of his like height, or would you call him still ascending and kicking and screaming? Oh, he's ascending. He's he ascending. hasn't made Talladega Nights yet. Talladega Nights, I, I would agree. I think that's the beginning of his plateau. Yes, that's which is style. not which is not complacency. That just means no. he is at the top of the game. He of his com- of his comedic like status. Yeah, I would say. Which is funny because if you look at the top of his comedic, st- I mean, we'll go over this a little bit more at the end of the podcast. But there are a lot of movies where he's at the top of his comedic prowess that aren't phenomenal films, but they are phenomenal Will Ferrell performances. Yeah. And I think that's something that like us three we really do appreciate. We appreciate the Will Ferrell performance more than a lot of movies. Yes. Uh, and I think that's something that I can't tell if it's us getting tired of Will Ferrell, but in the past 10 years, the movies haven't been there, but I feel like the performances also haven't been there. No, he hasn't had a real, I mean, you have to like, just by looking at his list of films, you could argue the campaign in 2012. Not a, not a great movie, not a great, movie, great Will Ferrell but you have performance. a great Will Ferrell and you have a great Zach Galifianakis performance. They, they kind of do work well together. That's in 2012. Since then, if you want to argue Anchorman 2, eh, more power to you. I can let you, but if you, I mean, by just... It was made for the fight scene. Simple as that. People wanted another fight scene. We needed Kanye. We needed yeah, Will we, Smith. We needed Will Smith. We needed Kanye. We needed Amy and Tina. Like, oh, it's I just forgot. like, it's you needed that. Was it as good as the first fight scene? No, that's for a different time. <laughs> but, I mean, you. and then you have, in 2014, the Lego movie, which I wouldn't consider his movie, but it's a really good movie, especially animated. But, I mean, that's Again, not we'll, like, movie. Again, we'll talk so prop- Props to his agent for getting him in a role in a good movie for once. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. But again, we'll talk about this more at the end of the pod when we do a little uh, bit more Will Ferrell. Take, yes? I don't know. Take uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell needs a movie where the plot is just as absurd as his character is. Otherwise, he falls flat. Sure. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. You could say that the, the absurd story of Daddy's Home really doesn't compliment him. Yeah, but that's just a regular, like... I guess that's true. That kind of father story. I want to get yeah. back to kicking and screaming. Like, I, 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 like I, I, Andrew, I'm cutting you off. I hate to take a left turn, but we need to get back to kicking and screaming. I don't want to okay. talk about Daddy's Home for any more than we actually have to. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Now that uh, we're talking about kings, do you want to talk about, like, the ending? Because I, like, I feel like we can go... We'll talk about our favorite scenes a la Bill Simmons style, you know, at the end. But let's talk about let's talk about the actual ending and kind of the come to Jesus moment of Will Ferrell. I know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I think it is really cool. Or I mean really cool. I think it was very enjoyable and cathartic to watch because as much as like the caffeine kind of spike scenes kind of led to that abrupt they kind of like I should say they crescendoed to him going fully insane eye of the tiger scene stitching the tiger stripes in his jumpsuit yelling at fart face jones <laughs> it was really a shocking moment like it, it i i kind of believe that one moment could take him out of it and that moment being his son and his son refusing to show up you know that that's what took him out of yeah being all about winning phil right? realizes the error of his ways in that moment 
Yeah, and like it's realizing the error of that ways, like showing that it doesn't matter how crazy he gets, like deep down he still obviously cares and loves his son very much. And the whole move, I mean the whole move, the whole reason why he became the coach of the Tigers one because Coach Benson uh they said he cracked. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I, some say he's a woman now. That's what I thought you were saying. Some say he's a woman now. Um, but the ending is just... It it makes sense to me. It's, I don't think it's like... A lot of like comedies and a lot of Wolf Girl comedies will kind of be like criticized for like having to throw a plot in at the end. But this plot actually feels kind of well-established. I feel like... The motivation is good. I feel like, you know, the ca- I'm invested in the characters. I think the cast of kids acts like you can always relate to the kids. The kids are always absurd. They never like peak or valley necessarily. So you can always kind of get behind them as reliable actors and stuff like that. Uh, the ending just made sense to me. It was beautiful. And then it kind of was that classic ending where Phil, like he gets all the things. He's like, he realizes the goalie. Oh, you need glasses? We'll get the glasses. No, you look like you really need those glasses. Never <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it all comes full circle, especially with, I mean, the iconic scene with the Mega Man, obviously, is, is oh, what yeah. comes to which mind. Is, which is so great because that is a callback to a pre-straight man, or to a straight man, exactly. Will Ferrell, pre-going insane, where he's like, I don't know, maybe you and Ambrose could team up for some mega, mega mega human or something like that. Just forget that. Just forget that. Because it's the whole thing where he's just like, whatever I told you to do, like, don't do it. Like, exactly. and, 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 or just or stop it. And, and then you have, I'm pretty sure you have a kid eat a worm in the middle of the field to distract oh. the team. Yeah. Because Will had told him not to do that. You know I mean? It's just all the characters from their like first scene of like, what they talk talk about themselves all comes full circle, and everything everything you know meets up with each other in the end for them in order to come and beat the those gladiators. Yes. Does Beans not play a single minute in that? <laughs> I, Beans, I think he does play sometimes because he doesn't he do the trick. No, he does because he because they do the wedge. They do the wedge. They do the, the wedge. End, He's definitely and he because he eventually learns how to put the ball on his back from the Italian. Illegal. Wedge, illegal. Oh, I'm wedge. sorry. Yes, I mean, not the head thing. Obviously, you can have the ball on your head, but the wedge. No, the wedge. I think this is pre-wedge being turned illegal because this that's is a football job. <laughs> <laughs> the wedge was not ball in football. It never was allowed in soccer. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> um, oh, I was just imagine. So I was just imagining the. So you know the move. Sam does the end. Listeners, Sam. Beats his uncle Bucky, played by Josh Hutcherson, in an early Josh Hutcherson role. Uh, he beats his uncle Bucky with a move he's been practicing kind of all year how to do. He does it, impresses his dad, scores the winning goal. Um, for some reason, that took me back to the scene where Phil wants to have a nice interaction with his son, and he sees the other dad interact with his son with the toe tap. <laughs> and Phil yeah, goes, Go over here, Sam. Phil goes up to his kid and tries to recreate like a nice kind of handshake toe tap, but just kicks his son <laughs> in the shit. Ow! And then Ditka comes over. And that's <laughs> Did you just kick your son? <laughs> and Phil's kind of playing off like, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, it comes. It comes full circle. Uh, the Tigers win. Phil gets to like prove himself to his dad, but also realizes he doesn't need to gloat in his dad's face. His dad realizes what an awesome grandson Sam is. 
Everyone goes home happy. Phil doesn't steal the Pele ball. Phil gives the Pele ball back. Makes a funny metaphor about how this is like... <laughs> what is the metaphor he makes at the end? It's like... Uh, it's, compared to his relationship with his father. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and Bucky's like, no, this is just a ball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't mean I'm uh, I don't mean to hop on my against this movie train again, but the one other thing I have against this movie, if Speak I speak plain, child, is that the idea that Sam is going to be a bench warmer on this team is utter crap. I mean, I just got to say, I'm, no, 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 on the Tigers. Because you know how it all ends because he stops playing him and that's why he doesn't play. Yeah, There's only about 13 players on this 11-man squad. And you're telling me that that, that hunter kid, the guy that eats worms, is getting playtime ahead of Sam? Like, no offense to Beyond Sung. Yes. But. but if you look at the bench, it's literally just him and Young Sung. And I, I'm, I'm just saying, Sam clearly has skills that he's shown. Another it's field. crazy that, like, Avery is playing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how's, how's Beans? How's Beans? The only explanation is that Phil has gone so crazy, he doesn't even know his son is on the team. He, he's completely forgotten his son in, in the eyes of the Italians. You know, all these folks, Dovi Sumi Italiani... Where, where are they, my, my Italians. Italians, you know? That's all he's focused on, is where are his Italians, not where his son is. Uh, listeners, you might have heard in the background of that last shot a yelling, a faint yell of boys. That was our mother yelling at us to do our chores. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, God. This is just a reality of us being back home. Uh, Andrew, luckily, is escaping this in Lexington, Virginia. <laughs> Yes, and it's that's the only reason. It's not because I'm 25 years old and am above this. <laughs> that I'm not there. No, no. <laughs> not at all. Um, okay, talking about the ending, barbecue scene. Another great example of the Avery joke. The turn in the Avery. I say this is Buck's highest moment right here. The turn of the Avery joke. Yeah. Just. Yeah. So, what a what a great like judo master transfer the body weight. Judo master transfers the joke right into Avery. Yeah, uh, redirects it. It's you know it's you know try to take the pebble from a young grasshopper, but grasshopper can't. Classic. Um, and we jumped around a lot uh, talking about the movie, which is natural, just because we kind of you know it, talk about the fun things about the movie gets us going. We love it. Will Ferrell. I think that's another. Kind of a comedy and like a Will Ferrell comedy, especially is like the bits are kind of independent of the plot. Well, a great comedy is one that can have the bits, yeah, that can have the bits and feel independent of the plot and feel like their own succinct things where they each feel like mini sketches that are hilarious, but they still like when you view them in the context of the plot, they still make sense. Yeah, granted, it's it's not as bad as like semi pro where. It's just bits, and like the plot is this other thing that happens during other scenes, and then there are scenes where you have bits that just don't fit it, or that really don't have any, like, are just being put in there. I don't know. John just gave the phone a stink eye when you said that, because uh, we, and I know you love Semi-Pro as much as we do, but there is no room for any Semi-Pro slander on the pod. 
Yeah, okay, I, you can edit that out. <laughs> no, we're keeping that in. We're, we're, keeping let, that in we're letting sure. the we're letting the people know you were slandering someone. Yeah, it's gonna really fuck with my clout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, no, I just think that that movie. I, I know the plot of that movie. I, I get what's going on in that movie, so I don't. I guess it is a movie filled with bits because it's because the, the point of it is honestly like we gotta fill seats, so we gotta have bits. Can we admit that the plot is an extended bit? Yes. That Will Ferrell owns a basketball team. Yeah. Like, that's he owns the bit. a basketball team and he needs to save the team. Like, yeah. kicking and screaming, it's not a bit. It's just a plot. It's like, oh, this is a thing that happens. This is very much a bit. Yeah. A, a pop star, a one-hit wonder pop star, owns uh, owns a basketball franchise and plays for it. That's, yeah. like, that's like an SNL sketch just stretched out for a yeah, 100 minutes. Yeah, it was actually yeah. a great way to work around the fact that, like, how, why would a self-respecting professional team have this guy on this squad? Yeah. Because he, he can get a free throw. Because he, he always shoots free throws. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. miss. Um, but anyway. Going on. Yeah. You, I was going to pass it to you. All right. Well, I'll catch that. Tuck it. Run to the end zone. Stiff arm. Heisman position. Desmond Howard style. Talking about... Kind of like one thread of movie, which I feel like, you know, we could talk about this movie for hours, but we will unfortunately probably have to keep the podcast at a succinct hour and a half. Um, one thing I feel like we haven't touched on enough, we touched on him a bit in the beginning, but is uh, Mike Ditka's role in the movie. Uh, again, this is another six thumbs up instance where like we all admit that it's because one, this like kind of plays into my theory that this movie takes place in suburban Chicago. I don't think that's a hot take. Yeah, it, it it looks especially when he's driving up to the soccer fields. That kind of cul-de-sac yeah. looks eerily similar to the kind of things you see on the North Shore of Chicago and the suburbs. Yes, you have to assume it from Dicka living there. You also have to assume it from Dicka living there. Yeah, yeah you just you assume it's she. Mm, but one counterpoint to this is when when I, I think an argument against it is when Dick is introduced to the kids. Yeah. Because I think that actually proves that it's not in Chicago. Yeah, and the only thing that they, the only other reference they have is Sammy Sosa. Sosa. <laughs> yeah, but that's a Chicago <laughs> thing to the, say. He's the coach of the 86, 85, 85 Bears. Bears. Is it, that Sammy Sosa? <laughs> Do you Keep know it. Sammy Sosa? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I, I disagree with that point because I think it aligns with the fact that they all suck at sports. <laughs> Ooh, that is, they are also. They are also. I for sure didn't know who Mike Ditko was. When I was ten years old, yeah. I knew who Mike Ditka was. When I, I was had an idea who Mike Ditka yeah, was. Yeah, but the Bears. When by the time you were ten years old, the Bears had already gone to a Super Bowl during your lifetime. Not, not in John's lifetime. No, yeah, they had. No, they went in '06. How old yeah. do you think I am, John? You were born in 1999. You were eight at yeah, that point. Yeah. What I was saying was, by the time he was ten. So by the time I was ten, uh, I had already seen. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Strike that, reverse it, add it in. I, we will, we'll we'll edit that in post. <laughs> no, we're keeping that in. Um, <laughs> Will's in, in, inability to do math. <laughs> Guys, I was really good at math in grade school. Huge number line. <laughs> Podcast listeners, I was really good at math. Um, but no, I mean, the Dicka role in the film, it's it's great. I mean, it's just it's Mike Dick at the most. Mike Dicka. I mean, he's, he's while he is still young enough to have that kind of a role, but old enough to be crotchety and mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and just the like 
him and Robert Duvall butting heads, like in the first, again, talking about the great first scene. Yeah. How awesome is that? Ditka is just, he's just leaf blowing leaves <laughs> on the, like, on the Robert Duvall. Something you could see Mike Ditka doing yeah, in real life. Like, this is my lawn. <laughs> and he's the just ultimate, like, you know, the ultimate lawn guerrilla warfare. <laughs> <laughs> the leaf blower. Leaf but blower. no, yeah, I mean, he's just thrown into the movie because you're, you're just in, you're at, you're at Buck's house. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. And then it's just Dick is there. Dick is just a part of it. You, know? you don't even have a time to like blink and you're no. like, okay, yeah. let's, let's go. Like, what? Like, like this, I thought this was a soccer movie. Now Dick is in it. Like, yeah. what? I mean, also the hilarious comedic scene with Mrs. Dick, with fake Mrs. Dick. Um, the dirty <laughs> habit. <laughs> Where he keeps for, for listeners that haven't seen uh, Phil is sitting down with Mike Ditka. Ditka chewing on a patented cigar. Every single time Mrs. Ditka comes into the room, he gives the cigar to <laughs> Phil and tells him to act like he's smoking, <laughs> which is just a, oh, it's just a great scene. <laughs> Phil telling Mrs. Ditka, I'm sorry, it's a nasty habit. I really appreciate that they never explain why... Uh, or There's only that slight backstory, which is equally absurd. There's no, like, serious reason why Robert Duvall and Dicka hate each other besides like you know what I hated you before I even looked at you because I know you were the guy who Dicka sucks on my lawn <laughs> yeah no the, the hatred is there you just you, the one thing you know about these two is they hate each other and there's no like there's no resolution to that they just kind of no. they still kind of hate each other at the end I like that they leave that let that let, they let that dog lie. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't they dog. don't fix that relationship. That relationship is what it always will be. Exactly, like just like this is this is a this is a fact of life. As <laughs> yeah, like, at the end is like, hey, sorry, I got to do this. Like this, <laughs> it's like it is like the Hokage fighting. Who does the third Hokage fight? Andrew. Orochimaru. Yeah, it's like the third Hokage fighting Orochimaru in Perpetuum. Mm, yeah, yeah. Shout out I was to thinking, all. like, I was thinking the the Egyptian myth of Ra having to always fight the like the snake to start the day. Well, Egyptian legend and Naruto are both on the same cultural <laughs> footing. We can agree. Yeah, similar. Okay. Though okay. I don't know if I don't know if Egyptian mythology has eight seasons of strictly filler. It's true. There isn't nearly as much filler. <laughs> that will be episode 87 on Into the Foxhole when we talk about Shippuden. <laughs> and Egyptian. episode 112 when we talk about Egyptian mythology. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, you got me thinking about Shippuden, and I just don't want to go there right now. It's an absurd <laughs> show. Um, um, but yeah, no, the, the dick... The, also, also, yeah. uh, also slightly woke dick uh, loving the uh, lesbian couple. Yeah, but then followed up by slightly less woke dick up by calling their son Bing Bong. (laughs) (laughs) The double-edged sword. You know, it's just like, oh, wow, dick. Oh, nope, yeah, he did it. (laughs) As they're walking along, (laughs) Farrell's just like, they're also dick just a lovely couple. (laughs) (laughs) That's also just a great, like, a great part of the movie is, like, Will Farrell. that's a fantastic scene, is when Will Farrell first meets the lesbian couple. (laughs) I'm sorry, who is is your son again? Beyonce. And you? (laughs) Awesome. Just like, oh, I love you guys. You you guys are great. Well, no, the best part, then after that, he's like, oh, I understand. No. (laughs) 
I don't I understand. Don't understand. <laughs> oh, oh, I understand. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's different. No, no, no. Better. Better. <laughs> as, as Already picking favorites, Phil. As Phil Lewis walks by. Wow, they're better? Already picking. A little early to pick favorites. Or Ambrose's father. <laughs> <laughs> a little early to be picking favorites, Phil. Yeah. The, uh, oh, that just also reminds me of another side. What was it like when they're talking about who's going to take over after coaching? Who's the dad who's just like, I just get laid off. It's tough to wake up in the morning as is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we never figure out his, his kid. That might actually be Ambrose's dad. Or It's either Ambrose's or I assume Jack's maybe. You know, like, uh, the kid who eats the worm. Maybe. I don't know. Let's. I don't know if we ever figure out whose dad that is. Back to the <laughs> back to the lesbian couple. It's a great like '05 like just classic like have no clue how to do with how to deal with homosexual relationships. We this is America like stamp right there. <laughs> oh wait, now I see. Wow. Except wow. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, wow. I mean, they get it. They they own it. I. We were talking before the show started how uh, I, I looked up this cast credits and under uh, Byung Sun's name is just to be clear because he is a, an adopted child from a same sex couple. Uh, his name, his full name is Byung Sun Hogan Jones. <laughs> exactly. Actually, it's uh, hilarious that it's it's kind of sad that someone in a writer's room actually took the time to remember to like hyphenate it now i'm just imagining in an alternate world where beyond sun's two parents are hulk hogan and adam pacman jones (laughs) netflix (laughs) i see a series um but john you talked earlier about you used a great word i audibly mouthed to john when he said this great word when he said that coffee is a catalyst to fill you can also think of Ditka as also being that second catalyst. Like, the catalyst of coffee and Ditka are 1A and 1B in leading him to that dissension into madness. Well, in this way, Dick is the drug dealer. Simple as that. He gives, he gives Phil his first coffee for free. And then <laughs> simple as that. Dicka knows his strategy. Free samples. I would love to have seen a subplot of Dicka having an investment in the coffee shop in this film, you know. I mean, just to see that, but, you know. A reminder, we're not taking any subsidies from Big Coffee for this podcast. Uh, no, they, Unlike they, Blue Chew. <laughs> they are on our tails, if anything, with exactly. our hatred of coffee. Exactly. But no, yes, Dick is definitely the, the supposed drug dealer to Phil's coffee addiction. Yeah. Another great scene is when he does the coffee taste test, and yeah. the last one Phil spits out and goes, that's not coffee. <laughs> and Dick says, that's my Russian vodka. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ditka and... I think of what a lot of people will remember if Dick get in this movie is the famous juice box boy interaction. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, that has to be like a candidate for favorite scene. Oh, right. Dick, do you know who you're talking to? I'm talking to the juice box guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to stand behind me and get me a juice box when I want a juice box. Whenever I want a juice box. Now go get me a juice box. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm just thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, which is such a great moment where, like, Phil out crazies Ditka. Well, it's just any response that Ditka has to Phil's craziness, Phil follows it up with somehow tying that into him getting Phil a juice box. <laughs> when Ditka yells, oh, you go to hell, 
No, you go to hell, and while you're there, why don't you grab me a juice box? Like, <laughs> like, and then also, but it's the, the scene is also highlighted by the fact that Ditka is still at the game, and he has the binoculars, and when Young Sun scores that inevitable goal that he scores as the Mega Man, he hears, well, a boy, Big Bong. <laughs> Way to go, Big Bong. And like... Like that also just shows to Dick is more, 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 you know, soft side, and that yes. he still cares about the team. You know, yes. he doesn't need Will Ferrell. He doesn't need Phil to like give him this job in order for him to support the boys. I think the last great Dick scene we should need to talk about before we go into our formal favorite scene picks is um, the the mid year sports banquet. Oh, <laughs> I mean the mid year sports banquet. So. Phil got like Buck hosts the mid-year sports banquet every year, you know, where he gets all the rec parents together, basically just to have fun, eat dinner, like talk about the season. Phil gets his son, or I'm sorry, Buck gets Phil on stage and basically has him give a speech about the Tigers. Says some funny jokes about Benson. Everyone laughs when Phil is actually like, no, we're actually worried about Benson. Where is he? Um, also side note, uh, Duvall's right hand man there. The guy oh, yeah. who asked, I heard he's a woman now when he talks to Benson. That guy's hilarious. Yeah. But then Oh, he's such a great jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, and then you have and then of course you have Buck and Dick uh, having their first like real fight and Duck, you know, you know, Iron Mike in aluminum fill coaching the Tigers, and then you know, and then yeah. and then you have Dicka's response, which is Classic, you know, my Super Bowl ring was making too much noise. He couldn't hear, I couldn't you, hear you, know? you there. Phil pointing to the ring. Like, pointing to the ring. You see that? You see that? <laughs> and then the climax of the scene. Andrew, you want to talk about the climax of the scene? It could throw a punch. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all the history of Buffalo State. It could throw a punch. Who gets hit by said no. punch, though? <laughs> it could throw a punch. Misses. Mrs. Robert Duvall and nails Will Ferrell right in the forehead. Which which leads to the iconic quote, <laughs> I took a punch from Iron Mike Ditka and I didn't go down. Oh, I might have wobbled a bit, but I did not go down. And he proceeds to cry hysterically. <laughs> he cries his wife. He cries his Wait, I'm, I'm looking up the... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm gonna look up what he actually says to his wife, and then this is also after this, you know, <laughs> Phil's in a very emotional state. So he then also goes and he cries to Mike Dicka the next morning, <laughs> which is it's just a great cutscene. His wife says, "Phil, don't cry in front of Mike." Cuts to <laughs> Phil crying in front of Mike. And then, wait, what does it say? I've only cried twice in my life, like when I was born into uh, free will, into free willy, like. <laughs> Just a great scene, and then it, and this is what this is the first idea of Coffee. you know, you know Mike sees Phil in his most vulnerable state. You know another good relation to the drug metaphor that this coffee plays. Wow! And he gets him hooked on caffeine, even though Phil says, "I don't like coffee. It's a Vasco yeah. constrictor." Vasco, <laughs> <laughs> which he says mid sob, <laughs> which he says mid sob to Iron wow. Mike Tinka. Andrew, you uh, you found that quote? Yeah, the quote. The quotes of Will Ferrell breaking down after taking the punch. I went way over my head. I got punched in the face and it hurt. And then he's like, 
she's like, she's, his wife says, honey, I love you. Uh, and says, uh, Will Ferrell goes, you go, or she goes, okay, you're not listening to me. You know, I give up. You go talk to Dicka. And he goes, what for? He scares me. Whoever <laughs> looked into his eyes, read his hair. She goes, share your feelings with them. And he says, you want me to share my feelings of inadequacy with my dick? <laughs> a, a marveled concept, you know. Uh. She goes, try not to cry in front of him. <laughs> Cut scene, crying with dick in the shop. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And, and one thing that we haven't really touched on, that I'll just touch on for a point, is the job of Kate Walsh as is, is, is Will Ferrell's wife in this. And just her job, which is pretty much throughout the entire film, so whenever Will Ferrell is like having a panic attack or breaking down, she comes in and saves the day, you know? We can say it. Will Ferrell's babysitter. Yeah, it, pretty much throughout the film, the original scene where he's on the bed with Sam. I know that guy! I know that guy! That guy's in! Mom! And then she has to come and slap him in on this scene where she has to calm him down because he's crying hysterically about his feelings of inadequacy. A few things are funnier than Will Ferrell yelling out, Mom! <laughs> it's like a la Wedding Crashers in the same year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mom! More meatloaf! <laughs> what is she doing in there? Isn't she trying, like, isn't she also trying to turn, like, the taking the punch dicka into, like, a romantic moment and <laughs> like Will Ferrell's just not having it. I might be mixing yeah. that up with a later scene, but I think that's Will No, Will she's Will. definitely trying to caress. Um, but Will Ferrell's in no emotional state to do so. Alright, before we go to uh, favorite scenes, uh, any other takes you guys want to get out that relate to the movie? Uh, don't Google uh, what Beans looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark... Mark Avery, I, I don't know what a lot of those child actors are doing, but it's safe to say that Mark Avery is not aged the best. He is exactly what you think a child actor would look like. Yeah. Like, growing up. But he looks pretty much the same way as he did, uh, except, like, he used one of those, like, age me apps, and it, like, but it just actually, like, worked. Mark, like, like, it just The worked. guy who plays Mark <laughs> looks like he just went in an aging app. Yeah, like, that's, and it's just, like, because, you know, those things are pretty bad, but, like, this, like, like this one did the job. It's like, like he looks the same, some more wrinkles, balding. Balding. You and, got him. And it's not like he gave in to the bald. He's still trying to fight it, but he, it's yeah. a losing battle. Not, yeah. All right, well, we'll go into our favorite scenes, and then we'll talk about where Will Ferrell has gone from there. But uh, I'll kick things off. This is one we haven't talked about. I mean, we collectively, the three of us, have talked about plenty of times, but we haven't, we haven't talked about too much on the pod. Uh, it's the moment when Phil, it's the, it's the interaction between Phil, the kids, and the gift of finches. <laughs> Just before the midseason banquet, Phil gives all of the kids finches as gifts. And one of them, I think it's probably Avery, or I think it's Amber as it came up, comes up and he says, uh, we have to keep these. Phil no, says, it's Connor. No. Connor's it's Connor. Connor. It's Connor. 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 We have to keep these. He says, no, you get to keep them. Fast forward to the mid-season, uh, the mid-season dinner uh, at the at Buck's place. <laughs> he is interacting with the parents, and the parents are like kind of bringing up, like, you gotta calm down. What's it with Ditka? And then they say, and what was this about the finches, Phil? 
Phil breaks down talking about how the finches were a bad move and saying that some of the finches had salmonella, <laughs> saying I might have inadvertently poisoned your children. Okay, you call me. The finches he were starts, a bad he idea. By, he starts by saying, I wasn't going to say this, but I think some of them have salmonella. <laughs> a fair amount, in fact. I may have inadvertently poisoned your children. So that, like, it... Talk about a, a scene that has literally nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Like, it adds nothing to the movie, <laughs> but it's just a hilarious aside. And also, you fully believe that Phil A would get them finches <laughs> thinking it's a good thing, and B, that he would also flip out when he's confronted. Well, I'm, just, I'm imagining it now, like, he's just, like, walking down, like, down a mall or something, and he and just he sees, a like, smile. a smile. Well, well, he just, like, sees, like, a poster, just, like, Finches for sale, and he's like, "This is a fantastic idea." He's like, "It's like it's like Bob's Burgers in the driving Tina scene, where he's like, this is a good day.'" But yeah, that's my that's my favorite scene of the movie. Uh, Andrew, you want to go? Uh, it's another animal movie. Some great animal scenes here. Uh, I, I don't know what John's gonna pick for his, but it might also involve an animal. But the First, the scene after the gladiators win the, win a win a soccer game, and Will Ferrell's back at Robert Duvall's place, and he second he second the aquarium tank, and he's like, "Dad, I really think you should clean this tank." It's like, see that one fish over there? He ate all the other ones. Called killer. <laughs> Hockey player had cups of coffee with fourteen different uh, different minor league teams in thirteen seasons. Two career points, Nello Ferrara. And yeah, that like it reminds me of that. Like Duvall's giving off that same kind of vibe with that one murky fish. (laughs) The same vibe that would get you like top ten worst car crashes on DVD for your birthday when you were like seven. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Nello got me. Yeah, I turned four and Nello got me jaws. couple scenes come to mind like one that's probably not so like is the close-up on mark avery as he's running up and down the field you know, <laughs> you know? it's just like bobby says like oh, like he's like i'm too old for this and just like 
it's like you have to keep in mind this is like a 10 year old child who is struggling to breathe uh, it's just a funny nice go lucky scene you know what that reminded me of kind of it reminded me of the scene in 21 Jump Street when uh, uh, Jonah Hill and um, Channing Tatum are tripping. <laughs> like the close-ups <laughs> on the faces. Like, yeah. that, like it kind of like looks like they're catching uh, Avery like tripping balls. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and then... And then my my favorite scene I have to say is is the butcher scene, which for you that that have not seen it, it's the a main premise of the story is that the Italians that Will Farrell and Mike Dicka find to help boost the team, the the one stipulation they have in order to play it on the team is their uncle who who is their patron who has the one that's taking care of them says patron. <laughs> it says meat comes first. And so they can't they can't play soccer unless they do their job at his butcher shops first. Prima la carne, meat come first. And before, before they're right as in they're like the middle of their groove, they're winning every game. They get a call that like, well, first starts off with the classic scene of Phil. This is Phil's going pretty crazy at this point, and he and he's trying to find out where the Italians are. So he's with the Dovi sumi italiani. Where are my Italians? And he, and he finds out they've got a huge meat order that they need to fill. <laughs> and so Phil enlists the help of his entire team to the butcher in order to cut up a slab of meat. And they, they do it in 25 minutes and they come to the game just covered in them, coming out of like the big butcher van, coming to the game like fully on the field. The, the bus like swerves and turns in. All the families move back except Mike Decca, who stands tall, <laughs> who stands tall, does not flinch, does not wipe, does not waver. And then they leave. And who is the other coach but Pete Hornbrenner? <laughs> or what is it? Wait, Pete Hornberger, for those who follow 30 Rock, Rock. also known as Scott, Scott adds. adds it. Adds it. And like, he's there. And they got out there. like, and like just normal, like, Wilfred, hey guys, ready to play? And he's just like, what one of my kids forgot his socks. <laughs> so like, so we, we forfeit. We we forfeit. And then they him and his entire team run. They run away. <laughs> that scene from like it is probably noble. I mean like with the with the beginning with Will Farrell saying Dove Save the Italian, probably like a five minute scene. And it is really flawless. My favorite part is when the after Scott Addis like forfeits, he's like he's like half cheerful, half terrified. He's like, You're that vultures? We forfeit! We forfeit! Go, go! Yeah, no, this scene lasts in about a minute and a half. Like, okay, yeah. Like, it's a minute and a half. It's pure joy. Like it, it's fantastic. Ugh. You know, it's like Ambrose, got, Ambrose in particular looked Yeah, great. he's <laughs> He's like right next to Will Ferrell coming off the bus. Well, he's just got his arms crossed. He got this like six foot, like ten year old. It's, just, it's scary, you know. Oh, man, like Will Ferrell goes into the into the side of a cow with a full on chainsaw. Like it, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Let's get to it. If I do say so, great job picking scenes. There is no, there are no wrong scenes to pick here, but those were all 
great seats. I'd like to give a shout out to Will Ferrell's mini breakdown in the car when the uh, when the um, airbag inflates. I'm a whirling dervish. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's a he's not a whirling dervish. He uses that one later. He's like, uh, he's a, what does he say? Tornado. Yeah, I'm a tornado I'm a, of anger. I'm like a large tornado of anger swirling, swirling about. The whirling dervish is used later, though. Yes. It's like, I don't know what they were, but they were all four. I don't know what a whirling dervish is, but they were all four foot whirling dervishes. <laughs> like four, I don't even know what a whirling dervish is, but that's what they're like. Um, yeah, great jobs, guys. So, after the conclusion of this movie, Will Ferrell continues on his epic run. And I'll just list off some of them. In the next, well, this is a, an incredible five years credit. This is an incredible five-year stretch of comedy, um, where if you look at from 05 to 2010, I guess technically six years, but I'll call it five, um, we're talking Wedding Crashers, Kicking and Screaming, Stranger Than Fiction, which I guess we might have conflicted views on the podcast. I think it's good. Andrew? It's all right. It's all right. right. Dustin Hoffman's good in it. I like the trailer. Trailer's great. Trailer's great. Um... Dallas, so we're going start from the top again. Wedding Crashers, Kicking and Screaming, Stranger Than Fiction, Ballad of Ricky Bobby, uh, Talladega Nights, Blades of Glory, Semi-Pro, Step Brothers, The Other Guys. You, you left out Land of the Lost. Yeah, okay. There, I feel like that's a pretty like controversial Will Ferrell. F- I, I enjoy that's Land a, of the Lost. I'll be honest, it, you know? <laughs> As someone who paid money to see it in the theaters... I think it's fine. I'll watch it for a little bit of nostalgia. I can admit it's not great. It's a classic movie you see on TNT, and you'll watch it for like an hour. You get bored of it. Then you, you get like turn. three funny like, clips that you're like, like an early you wait for the sports of- game to be on, and you turn it off, you know? What would you like say, Andrew? Early, that's like an early preview of the kind of output you'd expect from like Get Hard Will Ferrell or Daddy's Home Will Ferrell. It, it's the beginning of the end, really. It is, even though that after... it belongs in the 2015s, is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly, right next to Daddy's home. Um, and we've talked about how hard we all collectively stand the other guys. Uh, another, like, seminal movie growing up. Interestingly enough, at a different time in our lives, like, uh, we were all collectively older, uh, and that is collectively an older kind of year movie, which is kind of fitting, but... Uh, we really, and we, I think Andrew and I have talked about this a lot. I don't know if I've talked about this with you, John, but how excited we were. And, but also kind of like classic, like hipster kind of myth that everyone was giving the other guys its due recently because it came on Netflix in the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. So everyone is coming out with these, like the other guys, the great movie takes where it's like, oh, like I've been here the whole time. Yeah. Where, where have you guys been? You yeah. Know, exactly. I, I, the one thing I say, I had, I had two movies on my on my phone growing up, and it was Space Jam and Other Guys. And you know Snaps. what? You know, Snaps. That's all I needed. That's all you needed. A plane, plane, plane ride. <laughs> Throw one of those babies on. I'm good to go. Well, that'll get that'll get you to Texas. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but the Other Guys, and it's so fitting that we loved it so much because the Other Guys really is, and it's just an unfortunate thing to say with Will Ferrell, but it's his last. We're we're recording the pod in 2020. Uh, during the coronavirus, we have, not seen, we have not seen downhill or Eurovision yet. I, I want to put that out there. I have very low expectations uh, for downhill. I would like, I like, I like the idea of downhill just because it's Julia Louis Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. I would not pay to see. It downhill. doesn't look promising, Andrew. Uh, I'm not looking for. Uh, this just reminded me. Uh, 
Adam Sandler's definitely over the past. No, don't say it. <laughs> over the past, don't say years, it. Adam Sandler has made more good movies uh, than Will Ferrell has. That's uh, sad. That's sad. But it, as someone who saw uh, Uncut, Uncut, Jewel, Uncut, Uncut Jewels, Uncut Gems, and enjoyed it, that's sad but true. Even like, <clears throat> and we were talking about this. Like, I think we talked about this earlier on the podcast. It's been so long ago, I can't even remember. Um, but <clears throat> separating. Good Will Ferrell movies from Good Will, Will Ferrell performances, and how there were a couple movies in the early to mid two thousands. This could just be nostalgia, but that weren't good movies, but had good Will, Will Ferrell performances. The two ones, which ironically were back to back, are Blaze of Glory and Semi Pro, where they have two really good Will Ferrell performances in them, but objectively aren't that great of movies. Even though I very much love Semi Pro. Um, yeah, Blades of Glory. I think you could argue for Semi Pro that it was a pretty decent movie. The cast, it's I mean, oh, it's I, obviously carried by the cast. The cat, the story yes. itself is not that great. Yes, but you have you have a great Woody Harrelson role. Yes, Andre Three Thousand's fantastic. Yes, and, and, and Will Smith and our Will Ferrell obviously does. Andy Richter does a great job. Yeah. I mean, you cannot say enough good things about the announcing crew there. Yeah. With yeah. Um, Will uh, Will Arnett, Will Arnett, Arnett yeah. and I'm trying to remember what Forrest McNeil's name is. Forrest McNeil of the Review. Um, I think it's uh, Dick Pepperfield. Oh, Andrew Daly. Andrew Daly. Andrew Daly, who is a phenomenal character actor. You'll know him from the Carmax commercials as Dick Pepperfield in this movie, and also Weeby Sadibo. Weeby Sadibo. Jeez, great 2013. Commercial reference. Terrence Cutler on Eastbound and Down as well. Who is Terrence Cutler? He's the vice principal yeah. in the first season. He's dating. He's dating Kenny Powers' former flame. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I mean, he's a phenomenal character actor. Does a great job of the movie. Also, uh, a great Tim Meadow spot. Oh, well, I guess I did get shot. <laughs> um, but anyways, but like. Whether or not, like, I can admit someone saying that's not a good movie, that's fine. But it's a great Will Ferrell performance. Whereas if you look at some of the le- later movies in the late 2000s, like Daddy's Home, Get Hard, Zoolander 2, Zoolander, <laughs> Drunk Parents. I will say, as someone who saw Between Two Ferns, the movie, I thought that was a good Will Ferrell performance, but he was playing Will Ferrell. So yeah. it's kind of unfair. Um, but it just, it, none of these seem like great Will Ferrell performances. And I don't want to be that guy, but I think it starts with Casa de mi Padre, mm. which was, I remember looking forward to that so much and it was such an incredible flop. Mm. And I, it's just, yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's a shame. We all like really want Will Ferrell to keep producing and making and writing phenomenal movies. Um, but I think now we're kind of conditioned to the point where we expect a movie that Will Ferrell releases not to be good. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to just look at it outside of the Lego movie. Since other guys, there hasn't been a movie that he's made where it's just like, I'd go see that. In the f- I would pay money to go see that. You know? Exactly. And very few you would see on television. Yeah, exactly. You would turn the... There's like... You have to look at it before, before other guys and before you look at that list from starting with Zoolander. Like you see those movies on television. You got to throw on for 10 minutes. You watch, you watch, if not to the end. Yeah. You watch those movies if you have the time. Yeah. But post do you? No. 
Holmes and Watson. Ooh, that was like the nail in the coffin to cement him as like only producing bad movies and being in yeah. bad movies. It's it's it really is a shame. And I will also like go on record as saying that the Lego movie was phenomenal. It was yeah. really, really it's good. It's a good movie, but it's not Will it's not a Will Ferrell movie. It is except him in the live action part. The joke at the end, yeah. where the what's this called? He says he's talking to his son, and he's just like, "This isn't a child's play thing." And the son says, "It says five to ten on the box." And Will Ferrell, deadpan, says, "Those are just guidelines." <laughs> uh, That's a good read. He had a good read on that. I, cool. I still remember that joke. That was, that was phenomenal. Um, campaign, good Will Ferrell performance. Not a great movie. Yeah, him and Zach, him and Zach Galifianakis are funny. Yes, I think they're, they're, good. they're They're funny people, you know. But it has that like. How do, it had that Will Ferrell weirdness. He makes it work. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. pugs. He, he, like, he milks a bit out of just being weirded out by pugs. <laughs> See, what I think really is what ends it is actually I, I take I don't think it's Holmes and Watts. I think it's Get Hard. It's it's the first one where it's just like you have these two comedy giants. It feels like painting by numbers. And Will Ferrell and in in Kevin Hart and they just it just didn't work. Which reminds is, me of uh or it reminds me of uh I didn't. I didn't realize SpongeBob SquarePants was no longer something I appreciated until I watched the episode where I realized it was something I didn't appreciate anymore. Which was the uh, the Knight's Quest episode that they did, where he travels back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah with Sandy and uh, Patrick. Dun- I mean, that's yeah, Dunces and Dragons. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, I just remember that it was crazy to see such a rapid like one eighty to go from always Spongebob always being entertaining for me to not really getting what they were trying to do and almost thinking it was kind of forced. It just didn't, it didn't vibe with me. And I remember feeling a pretty similar way about those later Will Ferrell movies where something felt off. Like it was this familiar person who I expected to be really funny, but something just didn't click. Spongebob is definitely on episode 47 of the podcast. (laughs) Um, But I I completely agree. And I think, like, us going over this movie, like, obviously it's something that... We loved this movie before Will Ferrell's trajectory arc was even established. Uh, Career trajectory, career arc, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And I think I was talking about it now, just really underscores a lot of the, like, spontaneity and humor in his comedy and the way he acts, not only as a straight man, but as a crazy man. And just really, really, really wanting that back in a movie that feels like his, in a movie that feels like his project that he is like, I don't know, that he's, it's not to say he's not invested in these movies, but uh, like, that doesn't feel like it's phoning it in. I mean, like, even though we love the Wahlberg, mm-hmm. Farrell connection, the other guys, Daddy's Home feels like he's phoning it in, Get Hard feels like he's phoning it in with just another superstar. It's... I mean, Drunk Parrots is just him and Amy Poehler. Whereas if you look at, like, his other, like, kind of comedic, like, roles, like, he doesn't, like, do it with superstars that often in, like, his great movies. Minus, like, give or take old school. I mean, if you look at when he was, did Anchorman, none of those guys were big. None of them were big blockbuster, like, really. Even at old school. Even at old school. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn's... mm. But but you're right, less so. Yeah. And then you look at like him and John C. Riley. That's before they were like a huge duo with Step Brothers and um, Talladega Talladega Nights. The first one. Look at Semi Pro. It's just him in there essentially. Woody Harrelson. Harrelson. Harrelson's not a comedic actor at that point. I mean, that's men can't jump. He's he's not. He's not like. 
he's not a comedy. He's not an SNL comedy. Which is guy, why. Which know? is why. But and the same thing with Wahlberg. Wahlberg's not like a huge comedy guy, mm-hmm. but it works perfectly. Oh, other guys is probably is the start of like Wahlberg, arguably being like, oh, Wahlberg's funny. Like this guy's funny. Yeah, I want to look up and see when. He's kind of, he's kind of doing like a Channing Tatum. Doing a role, he's kind of in a role that like Channing Tatum's really rocked. Oh, Wahlberg and other guys. Yeah, yeah, and Tatum definitely did have to kind of transition there from Magic Mike to becoming like a good comedic actor. But I think Magic Mike came out after. Okay, I just looked like a fool on the podcast. You gotta edit that out, man. Well, honestly, that that's a good question. Like, did Mark Wahlberg open the door for Channing Tatum into comedy? Wow. Like, is, is other guys Channing Tatum's entrance really, like... You know who kind of existed that, like, Mark... Existed in that Mark Wahlberg kind of space for a while in comedy? What? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, no. Yeah. In some comedic roles, kinda. 21 Jump Street and Magic Mike rom-coms. both came out in 2012, two years after other guys. Wow. Yeah. So Channing, I mean... I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. The beefcake in the comedy is like it's like a trope that's gone on for yeah. a while. Like even looking back to Schwarzenegger and Twins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. classic. I can't believe it took us two hours to get a Twins reference <laughs> on the podcast, but there we are. Here's the podcast <laughs> patented annual Twins, twins reference. reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, that is like a trope in comedy. But you're right that Wahlberg like took it to a new level and like. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you could say pave the way in some way for Channing Tatum and yeah. 20, uh, 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street, yeah. 22 Jump Street. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Final words? Other guys is the best Will Ferrell movie. Simple. Strong words on a podcast about kicking and screaming. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Well, I had my kicking and screaming take. I mean... I just, kicking and screaming also it's a movie that even though we watched as kids I could still go back and laugh at it you know I could still enjoy it I think it's a film that it's PG but it doesn't limit everybody from having some fun watching that movie yeah allow me to hijack John's take it's a very quotable movie mm-hmm. going back to the comparison between the comparison to kicking from between kicking and screaming and Elf it's way more quotable than Elf ooh like I, I can use I in everyday not life, everyone, or in not general. everyone gets it, but I can say, "Oh, they form a mega person, or squeeze <laughs> off that corduroy jacket, or get the ball to the Italians." <laughs> Even though Italy hasn't been good at soccer since two thousand six, <laughs> since two thousand and six, no, that's true. People yeah. still they kind of they won people, the as some did. Kicking and screaming lead to the Italians winning the World Cup in 06. You heard it here first. <laughs> Didn't Italy win it in 04 or something? No, they won it in 06. Oh, but, but the, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they like, they knew what was up. Oh, no, yeah, 05, well, like, like there's, for people that followed Italian soccer, in the 2000s, there's a major Italian, like, soccer scandal with the league, and so they've sort of been in a drought since. But no, 2006 is probably the peak Italian soccer of our generation. Was 06 the headbutt year? Yes, it was the Zidane headbutt on Marco Materazzi. Who was an Italian? 
who was an Italian. Well, it was in the final. <laughs> Marco Marazzi, who, as we all know, is Polish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the famous Brazilian striker. <laughs> no, um, no, yes, that was that was in the final. The, the Zidane headbutt, the yes. iconic image in the 2006 World Cup final of Zidane headbutting the Italian player, which Italy would then go on and win in penalties. And we call that, like, we, we call that 06 team a dream team, right? Because wasn't that like a, that was like, like what we call the 2018 class for Belgians, like that was like a, no, that a gen, no, it wasn't a generational. It's team. not. It, Italy's been known. Italy's been a giant in soccer. Well, I know, but it's like that team with Buffon and it's like one well, P. No, like, you wouldn't consider it a dream team just because, in the case of Belgium, Belgium's never been good. Okay, so yeah, Italy is historically one of the best teams in the world. So there's like there's no Brazilian dream team. There's no Brazilian like there. There's I mean I guess. I guess I guess if there is like a team, that's just because it's also the most recent memory of it, Italy being good. Like they they weren't good for about twenty years until that before that, I believe. Okay, Andrew, get a rep in whenever you want, bud. What? <laughs> Andrew's <laughs> extensive, you know, knowledge up, of soccer. I'm coming up your guys' here. soccer knowledge. I think it's really it's really apt that Italy got good because I don't think you can work these jokes in if it was like. If it was the Fran- if France won that World Cup, you couldn't have French people. That just doesn't really fit. Yeah, you don't want French. You don't want this. The movie definitely does have something added to it with Italy winning, like with Italy being in the minds of the people as being yeah. an elite soccer. Let's look at the here. Here's the uh, final positions of the FIFA World Cup 2006. It goes Italy, France, Germany, and Portugal. I don't think you can make fun of any of those in a soccer setting. I mean. In a kids movie, the German maybe. I mean, you know. Yeah, but then like then Strum's, comes first. I, I yeah, don't know. but you get, like, but then these kids like, but there's something about the inventiveness of the Italian that isn't lazy like the French. Yeah. Uh, sorry yeah. to all our French listeners. <laughs> the massive <laughs> mass of French people, which doesn't was, have the like what would obviously <laughs> what would obviously be like a trope if they did the Germans. They would be like the strict, yeah. obviously like you know, I like can see, a, I la, can see the a la Hasselhoff and dodgeball. Yeah, yeah. You're like the, like, the, uncle, had to go, the like, German like, uncle obviously. not being this animated like oh an Italian guy, you know, it just being like a strict like yes. simple worded like. Yes. <laughs> Like Dick, uh, like Dick is not scared, but Will Ferrell's clearly scared of this man, which works, but on a different level. Yeah, no, the Italy, the Italians, it's something that's like the fun Italians, and then you have the two Italian songs in it that really work well with it. I, I we didn't even talk about the Italians. We did a little, but Zuma Zuma, Bacala, we can go on forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I, uh, Andrew, you got anything before I can do my last words? I, I uh, what's my last word? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was his last word. So I just like one of the things that kind of makes me feel good about standing this movie so hard, which I don't need anything to feel good about liking this movie because this movie naturally is enjoyable for me. Um, is when I look back, Roger Ebert really looks on Will Ferrell's movies very favorably. Will and Roger Ebert gave this a three star out of four movie. Uh, and in his review, he says, Will, with Farrell in this movie, we might expect a raucous comedy like Old School or maybe Dodgeball, a movie I have to keep reminding myself Farrell was not in. Me too, Roger. <laughs> but no, kicking and screaming is more like the Bad News Bears or the Mighty Ducks, with the underdogs coming from the bottom of the league standings to eventually, but I dare not 
reveal the ending, even though it will be obvious that every sentient being in the theater, which is a good encapsulation. Like, to put Kicking and Screaming, I think, in the pantheon of the Mighty Ducks and Bad News Bears, I think is apt. And I that would be something, like, I think that's where it rightly, it rightly deserves to be thought of as one of the great kids' comedies. Like, sorry, way better than Air Bud. Don't it's a great kids' sports film. Like, what's the last great sports It's probably the most... I can't think of one off the top of my head. Well, we're, we're, great we're sports film kids. involving a shitty team. Yeah, well, we're not kids, so I mean, like, we can't think of modern ones. See, well, like, the thing is, I, I think a good comparison is, like, it's very similar. Like, this is similar to being our generation's Mighty Ducks. Sure, exactly. Like, ten years later. Like, like ten that. years later. Because the Mighty Ducks came out in 92. Yeah. And this is 05. Like, I mean, because I was, I, I, none of us were born for the Mighty Ducks. So, I mean, even though people in our generation did grow up and watch the Mighty Ducks, I never really watched it. I watched Kick. Me neither. Heavyweights. <laughs> yeah, that's what we watched. Yeah, we did watch Heavyweights. A f- a be- phenomenal Ben Stiller performance in Heavyweights. <laughs> yeah. Great Ben Stiller heel move. But anyways, you can go on like you're talking about. No, I'm just saying, I think it's like, I mean, it's like Bad News Bears kind of, but it's not, because Bad News Bears is like, um, honestly, adult. adults. It's an adult sure, film. Sure. Mighty Ducks, kid film. But Kicking and Screaming, it's like a Will Ferrell film, but it's also like, but it's also got it's a story. Like, it's a story. Like, I'm not saying that in most of his films don't, but, like, it's a kid's, like, story centered around Will Ferrell, pretty much. And one of the things I like about it better than The Mighty Ducks, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Obviously, we're all in the basically same generation where we're not in The Mighty Ducks generation. Um, I like that it doesn't have the Disney kind of dust on it that I feel like The Mighty Ducks does. And correct me if I'm wrong, is The Mighty Ducks a Disney movie? It's a Disney movie. Yeah, It's a Disney movie. It doesn't have the Disney dust. It has Will Ferrell. Like, it it reeks of Will Ferrell, not of... I guess Reese was the wrong word. But it's got that Will Ferrell aura, not the Disney aura. And the Disney aura, don't get me wrong, like, I'm not gonna take a crap on Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks is a good movie, and people love it for a good reason. But it doesn't have, like, something about it being a Will... About King and Screaming being a Will Ferrell movie makes it feel more authentic, and that's what I think that should be its legacy. It should, it should honestly, like we've been laughing and joking about how much we love all the stupid parts of this movie, but it honestly, I think we all agree, it should be looked back as one of the best kids sports movies ever. It's our generation's it's, kids sports movie. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no other sports kids sports movie that stands against it that's been made since we were alive. I don't think. Yes. Also forgetting about Sandlot two and three. Oh, but, okay. when Sandlot made Sandlot is Sandlot's the only I one. Think Sandlot's I think Sandlot's like early 2000. Well, that's just got such a great heart to it. Like it's, Sandlot's 93. So it's still before us. Sandlot's 93. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, so Sandlot also in this Sandlot's, I mean, mm, Sandlot's anyway. less of a comedy the way that this is. It's, it's a different type of Sandlot comedy. Sandlot is a purely kids movie. Yeah. It's a coming of age story. It's coming of age. Comedy drama. There's no drama in kicking and screaming. Yeah. Oh. Man, oh man, oh man. Yeah, I it I I really am it takes solace in the fact that I hope that this goes. I don't think unfortunately I don't think it will. I think it does get kind of unfairly overlooked, but I think it will go down as one of the best uh, children's sports movies of all time. It's rightful place on the Mount Rushmore with them. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for calling in. Uh, Stay safe out there in uh, Western Virginia. Um, I'm sure this will not be your last appearance on the podcast. Um, John, thanks so much for joining me, even though we live in the same house right now. So 
Makes it easy. Makes it very easy. Uh, for John and Andrew, this is Will uh, signing off on Into the Foxhole, episode one. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Um, if we ever have this on any sites, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon for more zany content. <laughs> Yo, 50 likes, and I'll do the cinnamon challenge. Oh, <laughs> cinnamon, cinnamon challenge over podcast. <laughs> You've never seen anything like it or you just heard. You can't hear anything. <laughs> you just hear John going, <laughs> it is scintillating. But um, with respiratory things, well, let's let's know. You know, exactly. stay safe out there. This is definitely a moment in time. Um, we don't know when people will listen to this, but uh, stay safe out there. Um, yeah, and we hope you listen to our next episode uh, with our second guest. Uh, I think we can. I think we can reveal who our second guest is. Do we know? Yes, well, I know. Uh, our second guest, uh, William Hennessy. William Monroe Hennessy will be on the podcast next. Uh, not quite entirely sure what his uh, pop culture choice will be, but if it's anything like kicking and screaming, we're going to have a good time. Uh, wait, so I'm a guest of the show, but I didn't get to choose the thing. <laughs> oh, like you wouldn't have chosen this. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, all right. For your next appearance, you can figure out what you want to talk This was just an easy one. All right. Later, guys. Signing off. you think precious, I can't understand. Are you reeling in the east? Stowing away the time